That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. I had an old writing coach uh, when. Uh, you know, in, in, in the course of any writer's career, if you work at a newspaper or magazine or whatever you're reporting for, you're going to run into writing coaches. And uh, I had a writing coach about 20 years ago who told me something really interesting. Gave me a little bit of advice when it came to kind of telling a story. And I still utilize that advice today. Frankly, when I do this radio show, I find myself drawing upon the advice of writing coaches and and, uh, and, and storytellers, different kinds of storytellers. My grandfather was a great storyteller. I used to uh, sit around the uh, dining room table and listen to my grandfather tell stories. He would talk about uh, being an Italian immigrant in the East Coast. And, uh, you know, the fist fights he got in as a kid. And uh, he would tell me all these uh, stories and tales about his friends. And I knew them inside and out to the point where I could almost regurgitate the stories or when he was telling the story, finish the sentence. You know what I'm talking about. You grew up in one of those families where you would sit around the dinner table and your uh, grandfather or father or grandmother would tell a story. But the writing coach gave me this bit of advice that I find myself uh, using today. And in fact, I see it in uh, movies. I see it in, I see it in television shows. I frankly see it on YouTube channels, even those YouTube channels where kids are opening presents. You ever, your kids ever get into those? My kids did. Like they'd be, just be sitting there watching YouTube and they're watching another person open a package. And, the, and, and scientists will, will tell you that there is some brain chemistry involved in that, that, that uh, as we see something uh, that is being revealed, there is a, uh, a great uh, desire for resolution. Like, we, we, we really need to see the package. We need to know what was in the package. It's why uh, on television shows when they would say, to be continued, back in the day at the end of a Cheers episode or a Friends episode or a Seinfeld episode, uh, when they say, to be continued on Happy Days or Laverne and Shirley, we would all go, oh, and then what would we do? A week later, we'd tune right back in. That writing coach said to me, Make them laugh, make them cry, but first, Kanzano, make them wait. And it's true. We've done a lot of waiting when it comes to this season that we're in with the Pac-12 Conference, with Damian Lillard and the uh, Blazers and the Miami Heat up in the air, seemingly talking about a trade. We've waited for Jody Allen to sell the franchise. Trustee, what is she doing? Make them laugh, make them cry. We've been doing a lot of crying, Blazer fans. Uh, and make them wait. They're making us wait. We've been doing a lot of waiting. I feel like we're sitting at a bus stop in some ways on this great sunny 
warm Friday. Are we not sitting at a bus stop, the proverbial bus stop, Pac-12 fans, waiting for the season to start, waiting for a meteorites deal? I mean, it's a good feeling when you are somewhere where you know, like, hey, I'm at the airport, I can look on the board, they say my flight's on time, that's what you do, you look at the departures, get to the airport, is my flight on time? Yes, it's still leaving out of gate 10, great, it appears to be on time, everything's moving uh, as it should, I need, I better get to the gate. Uh, It's a great satisfaction and a great comfort when we know when something is going to happen. I think part of the problem with Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers and the ongoing saga, which now has a new chapter, by the way, I find this uh, totally amusing. Um, You know, people who are way into the weeds on the Damian Lillard thing are now looking at Damian Lillard's Twitter and they're looking to see what tweets he's liking to try to figure out where his head is. That's where we are in this in the arc of this story involving Damian Lillard. Um, you know, they're looking at, all right, what tweets is he liking? Oh, Daniel had a tweet where he said, Trailblazers, please sell to Phil Knight. He'll talk Damian Lillard into staying and doesn't care about going into the luxury tax. Sell to him. He'll, uh, he'll uh, you know, don't let Portland suffer. We'd like to see Damian Lillard win a title here in hashtag PDX. Lillard liked that tweet. How about them apples? What does that mean? Does, he, does it mean he wants Phil Knight to own the team? It's cryptic. It's smoke signals. I wish he would come out and talk. He's making us wait. You know, Damian Lillard and the Blazers, it is going to be a while, I feel like, before we get true resolution, even if there is a trade. Because what's going to happen if there's a trade of Lillard? You know, it's not going to be like the Blazers trade Lillard and we all go, okay, that ends that chapter. Now we pivot into the Scoot Henderson era of Blazers basketball. And by the way, Scoot looks like he's going to be a really good player, doesn't he? Like, I can kind of see what Joe Cronin of the Blazers saw when they said, hey, we absolutely need to pick Henderson third in this draft. We can't afford to trade this thing at 50 cents on the dollar just to try to make Damian Lillard happy. There's not a good enough player that's coming in return. This guy looks like he could be every bit the part of a winning team three, four, five years from now. We should probably draft him. Good decision by the Blazers. Looks like it to this point. But if Lillard's traded, it's not like we're all just going to go, hey, one chapter ends, another chapter begins, and we move on. It's not like you close the book on it. The series ends. You stop watching Succession or Sopranos or you know the season finale, the series finale's over. No, because there's another chapter after that in which we compare, how did the Blazers do? Did it work out for Damian Lillard? Did it work out for the Miami Heat or the Utah Jazz or the Boston Celtics or wherever he gets traded? There'll be a whole nother, you know, gray area that we will voyage into when it comes to Lillard, when it comes to figuring out and finding out kind of where his his head is and, and did it work for him. Same goes for the Blazers organization. Because it's not going to be like the trade of Lillard means that the franchise automatically is transferring to the hands of Phil Knight. And damn it, I agree with Lillard. I would have liked that tweet too. I agree with Lillard. And I've said it. And I've banged my shoe on the table. I've written about it numerous times. You know, if you listen to the show, I've talked all about Phil Knight owning the Blazers. I don't think the Blazers would be in this position if Phil Knight owned the Blazers. Deep, Burt Cold, the vice chair of the organization, who rose 
to the head of Trailblazers, Inc. because he was so qualified in business and basketball. Wait a minute. No, he didn't. He was Paul Allen's roommate at Washington State. Oh, that's how he got the job. Okay, so Burt Cold, who was lucky enough to hit the lottery and become Paul Allen's roommate at Washington State, and then somehow ended up in charge of the Blazers organization because they became friends. That guy and Jody Allen, I think down deep, probably know that the franchise would be in better hands and would not be in the predicament that it's in today if Phil Knight owned it. Like, Phil Knight, just by virtue of him owning the team, people keep saying, well, he's old. You know, Kanzano, he's old. If he if he buys the team, it's not, not really going to mean that, you know, the Blazers, free agents aren't going to want to come to Portland. I think you missed the point. It's, this isn't about just free agents wanting to come to Portland. It's about a team willing to do everything necessary Everything, including finding loopholes in the collective bargaining agreement, including becoming a taxpayer like the Blazers uh, in 2002 were like nobody else in the league. 2002-2003, the Blazers had the second highest payroll in the NBA. New York Knicks were first. It was New York, the market of New York City. And it was Portland, second. Why? Because Paul Allen wasn't afraid to take his checkbook out. Wasn't afraid to write a check. He wanted a win, damn it. And I think Phil Knight would want to win as well. And I also think Phil Knight did some things, visionary things at Nike, that helped build that brand into a global brand, the biggest sports brand on planet Earth. There's, it's not debatable. The Nike swoosh, whether you see it in New York City, and I just did last week, whether you see it in, you know, anywhere in the world. You know, I was in an Uber, and I turned to the driver who was from a tiny country in Western Africa. And he, you know, I said to him, you know, he said, where are you from? And I said, Oregon. And he looked at me blankly. And I said, you know, Nike is headquartered there. Oh, wide eyes. He knew exactly what I was talking about. Like, that is the brand of Nike. It is the Blazers brand immediately would have a visionary behind it. The same as the University of Oregon has the Nike and Phil Knight, uh, you know, jet rocket behind it. So with the Trailblazers, I mean, it just makes so much sense. But again... What is Jody Allen doing? She's making us wait. And let, and let me not let her off the hook either. Like, as long as we're talking about the accidental vice chair, who is Burt Cold, he becomes the head of Trailblazers, Inc., not because he's qualified in basketball, he's not, not because he's a great business leader, he's not, but because he was Paul Allen's roommate in college, he hit the, literally hit the roommate lottery, let's not let Jody off the hook. What is her uh, what is her reason for being in charge? Well, she happened to be related to the guy who helped build Microsoft. That's it. That's what she did. You know. You know. We want to talk about Jody Allen's contributions to the world. It was uh, you know that's uh, Paul Allen's sister. That's how she ends up with her hands on the franchise. It it's just not right. It doesn't make it fair. It doesn't make it right. It is what it is. But again. Like I started the show talking about, you know, make them laugh, make them cry, make them wait. I wish I could get the laugh part out of the Blazers. Like, all we're getting is the cry part and the wait part. So, you know, it's almost like they're making us laugh, making us wait, and then they're going to make us cry at some point. I don't know. Trailblazers uh, fans are frustrated, and I feel for you, and you're waiting. And let's pivot now to the Pac-12 conference, because it's been a lot of the same from the Pac-12. Look, as much as I have been on this show crowing about, hey, the Pac-12 is going to be fine, Pac-12 teams are all galvanized, 
hey, the 10 remaining schools, they're all on board together. As other national media members were out saying, hey, this conference is facing its imminent demise. Anytime now, Washington and Oregon are leaving for the Big Ten Conference. Anytime now, the four corner schools are gone. Got a bunch of yahoos in Arizona who are running around going, oh, look, the Wildcats, they'd be better off in the Big 12 Conference. Why would we want to be part of the Pac-12? We're in the Big 12. We're in the big time. Look, it, no, none of that ended up coming true, all the hysteria. All the chicken littles are still kind of running around. They just lost their voices. And in the end, as much as I want to say, hey, you know what? I was right about everything. I can tell you the one thing I was wrong about. Like, the Pac-12 took forever to get this deal done, and I'm now being told by a member of the CEO group, hey, this Disney CEO thing, Bob Iger, who came out and talked yesterday, this is going to... This is going to cause a delay here for the Pac-12 conference. They're going to have their media day next week. I'll be there. The show will be there. And the focus should be on football. And it's still going to be on the media rights deal, whether they have a deal next week or not. It's going to overshadow all of this great football. It's not right. Again, make them laugh. Make them cry. But first, make them wait. We have waited. The Pac-12 conference needs to wrap this up, needs to get the deal done so everybody can move forward. Yes, I understand the landscape of sports is a changing. Yes, I understand that you know we're in a uh, give it to me now sort of uh, time period when it comes to uh, gratification. But uh, I think uh, as Blazer fans, as Pac-12 fans, as sports fans in our region, I think we've had about enough of the waiting part. I think it's time for the Blazers organization, if they are going to go into the season with Damian Lillard as their point guard in uniform, probably time for them to say it and say it a little stronger than Joe Cronin did earlier this week as he as he said uh, you know it could be months um, I think at some point you got to announce and go look we don't like the deals that were out there and we are interested in heading to the season with Damian Lillard as our point guard and uh, we're expecting the best of him and if Damian Lillard then says I want to sit out I want to retire that 217 million dollars you owe me never mind forget about it I'll just give it back I would be awfully surprised, wouldn't you? And for the Pac-12, yeah, it is time to get a deal done. The Pac-12 conference has talked about unity. It's talked about getting being galvanized. Um, you know, they apparently have numbers that they like, and they're waiting on it. It's time for them to push back against the partners. They need to come forth with something. They've left San Diego State in a lurch. Come Monday, the Mountain West Conference, the remaining presidents of the Mountain West, I should say, are going to have a meeting. And they are going to decide what to do about San Diego State. And meanwhile, the Aztecs, they think they're in the Pac-12 conference. And nationally, people think they're in the Pac-12 conference. Dan Patrick on his show went all on about San Diego State and SMU. And, hey, they're still going. But that's the information I have on the Pac-12. It still feels like San Diego State is going to the Pac-12. SMU will be going to the Pac-12. Boise State, I guess, is a chance. Uh, it was referred to me as a long shot, but uh, my source said, I said, is it a long shot? And he goes, well, it's questionable. And I said, what about UNLV? He goes, questionable, but they may be looking to add four schools here. Gonna- I don't think Dan Patrick, it's interesting to me because I have a lot of respect for Dan Patrick, but I'm told there is a huge gap, and I'm told there is a huge gap between SMU and San Diego State and the other schools that were considered. And I do not believe Boise State 
or UNLV got consideration. I've talked to officials at Boise State. I've talked to officials at UNLV. I've talked to members of the Pac-12 CEO group. I get no indication that UNLV or Boise State are in this at all for the Pac-12 conference. And in fact, if you really think about it logically, Oregon State does not want Boise State in the Pac-12 conference. Arizona State and Arizona don't want Boise State in the Pac-12 conference. How do they beat Boise State in recruiting? They say, hey, we're a power five. They're not. That's how you win that recruiting battle. They're not going to let Boise, by the way, state of Idaho, 517,000 television households, they're not going to uh, add media value to the conference by taking on Boise State. UNLV, I would be interested in, but I'm not hearing that from the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. But here, I agree with Dan Patrick on this part. San Diego State and SMU, I think they are in this. I think they will eventually get to the Pac-12. But they're a lot like Pac-12 fans and a lot like Blazer fans today. What are they doing? They're waiting. We're all waiting. It's time to put a stop to the waiting. Can somebody give us some resolution? Like, you know, one of the shows I used to watch and Anna and I used to watch all the time was Whale Wars. And uh, we used to like, like to, well, let's tune in and watch these guys. They're out there and they're uh, basically harassing the uh, Japanese whaling ships that are trying to kill the whales in the uh, middle of the Arctic Ocean. And it's And it's good for, like, half an episode to an episode, because what you realize pretty quickly in Whale Wars is that these guys are out in the ocean, and they're kind of floating around, and they're throwing water balloons and squirting hoses at the whaling ships, trying to annoy them. But in the end, nothing really happens. Like the episode is, you know, we, we didn't find any ships today. Or the episode is, oh, we crashed into our own boat. Or the episode is, we ran out of gas and we're stalled in the open ocean. Like, there's a lot of that that goes on, and a lot, not a lot of whales and a lot of wars going on over whales. And so in the end, I kind of feel like we're, we're all watching an episode of Whale Wars here when it comes to the Pac-12 or the Damian Lillard standoff with the Trailblazers or, frankly, when it comes to any of this stuff, the sale of the Trailblazers. For crying out loud, Major League Baseball to Portland. Like, we're waiting and waiting, and you've been patient as a sports fan. So, yes, we know, just like that 747 in Gate 10, that, you know, come September, the flights will start taking off in college football. We have that. Like, we know there will be games played in the NBA come this season. But we're in this period right now, in July and August, that is especially mercurial. This is the time when winners separate, right? Free agency hits. People make splashy moves. They make trades. They draft players in the NBA draft. They, you start making plans in, in the offseason. This is July. This is August. The winners are going to make plans. They're going to get things done. Cities that are truly interested in attracting a Major League Baseball team are going to make progress between now and the end of the year. I'm looking for that. I'm tired of waiting, and I'll bet you are too. We have a great show for you today. Adam Rittenberg will be on the show ESPN, he's going to talk to us coming up about, you know, what is going on with Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern. Plus, I'll ask him, uh, come this college football season, Oregon's over-under is nine and a half wins this season. I want an outside-in look at the Ducks. And the Beavers are sitting on the board at nine wins, eight and a half wins in some places. What does Rittenberg think of those two lines? Does he see an opportunity there? Does he have more confidence in Dan Lanning or Jonathan Smith to beat that number come this season? We'll talk to Rittenberg about that coming up in a few minutes. Dave Bartu, the college football matrix, will be with us. Matrix Analytical has done a, a complete breakdown 
of college football coaching staffs nationally. Now, Bart, too, gets a little geeky on numbers. Okay, He'll geek out on them. It's my job, as part of that interview at 4 o'clock, to make the numbers interesting. Bartu will join us to talk about where he sees the best coaching staffs in the Pac-12. Where are the weaknesses? We'll talk about all that coming up. Plus, we got great sound today. Maybe some of your phone calls if you bring the heat. Anna will be here to do the 5 at 5. We got a great show. You got the BFT statewide. Leave it right here. We'll take some phone calls this hour. I want to hear from you, 503-417-7575. You know, I said, look, uh, great writing coach told me, make them laugh, make them cry, but first, make them wait. Don't give them the resolution up front. You know, anybody who's seen YouTube channels knows that that's kind of the – that's the, the mantra there on those uh, some of those YouTube channels that uh, get great traffic. You know, they make you sit there and wait. You ever done that on social media? You're waiting through a reel or waiting through a TikTok, and then it ends, and you're like, I never got to see what I was waiting for. Um, there's something to that. I feel like we're waiting a lot right now with the Trailblazers, with the Pac-12, with a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm not going to make you wait anymore for Adam Rittenberg, though. ESPN, senior college football writer. He's been all over this Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald thing, and he's joining us now. Adam, uh, I gave some advice that I got in my writing career. Give me some advice a mentor gave you once upon a time that you think about now and then. Oh, wow. Well, good to be with you, John. Um, I I know that one thing that stuck with me is when you're writing, you know, show, don't tell. And this was said Mm -hmm. to me a long time ago and is even more, I think, needed now because we do a lot of telling. We do a lot of takes. We do a lot of opining. And yet, when you're writing great, great writing is, is often, um, you know, again, showing something through your reporting or through your description or through the, the words in the eyes of others than just telling them. I think it's a much more impactful way of writing. So that's, that's one thing I always try to abide by. I probably break the rule at times myself, but it's, uh, it's definitely in the back of my mind. Pat Fitzgerald in Northwestern. Tell me, like, from your view, from when this first breaks, the good students at Northwestern do a good job on this story, to, to now, like, kind of the, the range of thoughts that you have had in covering this. You've done a great job on it. Thank you. Yeah, no, it, it's been a, a very unique story because, you know, investigations happen, um, and oftentimes they lead to consequences and, 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 and major consequences. The odd thing about this investigation, John, is that, the investigation didn't lead to Pat Fitzgerald's firing. It led to a two-week suspension, and then everything that happened after that led to his, his actual uh, uh, ouster on, on Monday. And so, yeah, I thought a lot about, you know, what did I miss on the front end, you know, reading the, the initial press release and executive summary that came out a week ago Friday, um, and then how it all changed so dramatically, you know, with the, the piece on, from the Daily Northwestern and then other outlets. Obviously, we did some reporting over the weekend, you're talking to the whistleblower, the former player who came forward with these allegations back in November of 2022. And, you, you know, one thing I was thinking about today, honestly, in the, in the last day that, that maybe only crossed my mind then was that Michael Schill, the president, who certainly has faced a lot of criticism and attention uh, over the last week, you know, did reach out to the uh, former player's family on Friday of last week. So that's interesting to me because that was prior to the Daily Northwestern story that was prior to the story essentially changing. So what happened on Friday between the time Northwestern put out its announcement and President Schill reaching out to that player's family? Was it knowing the Daily Northwestern piece was coming? Was it uh, receiving more information from the investigation? 
uh, you know, knowing who that person was. Th th that, that's one of many questions that I'd love to ask President Schill, who, again, has yet to speak to the media. We're talking to Adam Rittenberg, ESPN. The, uh, I find that interesting because normally when you get a president who makes a move like that, they stand out front, you know, if there is a precedent for something like this. But when they make a big move that impacts a football program or a part of their university that way, they stand out front, they stand behind it. Do you have a sense of why Schill maybe hasn't come out? You know, I, I can only think of a couple of things. You know, you certainly um, it's a private school and you don't have to be as visible. Uh, you don't have to be as transparent because of the nature of the school. You know, we can't FOIA this um, this investigation. And, you, you know, he's also, as you know, has a legal background. And I'm sure Northwestern's attorneys are, are, are telling him you know, to be very careful with anything he says. Um, at this point on, you, you, you know, Pat Fitzgerald has lawyered up with a, a big time attorney here in Chicago. Um, we don't know if the uh, if the players who, who were, you know, who were hazed, essentially what they're going to do from a legal standpoint. So I, I get it at this point to a degree. But, you know, again, it's been a week and there are just so many uncertainties. And I, I, I just can't get over this part, John, is that this is, you know, this is maybe the biggest dis public decision that he'll make in his presidency. You know, obviously the other things that go on uh, involving the university, but the impact of firing Pat Fitzgerald, the most famous and, and impactful Northwestern player and coach in, in, in a major sport, uh, that, that's huge. And again, hasn't really been discussed in any sort of public forum. That's, that's certainly surprising here a week into it, a week into the initial story coming out. David Braun is their interim coach. He will uh, take over the program now. And um, give, us, give me a sense, like, do you feel that Northwestern has a chance to have a, uh, uh, a football season that's got focus, or is there going to be distraction in your mind throughout this season as this gets resolved? Well, I, I think it's hard to say that they'll have, they'll have a distraction-free season um, because uh, of what coach, uh, coach Fitzgerald meant to the players. They were obviously – uh, publicly supportive of him and continue to be throughout this process. But, you know, David Braun at least has been around uh, the, the players now for um, uh, about seven months. You, you know, he's one of five new assistants on the staff. So it was a largely new staff to begin with, but at least the players have uh, an understanding of who their coach is going to be and, and, uh, and can start preparing for the preseason. I know that their coaches have been around them as much as possible this week, which is, you know, normally a week where coaches are still on vacation. They're not necessarily at every 7 a.m. workout. I know that in talking to sources in that building that the coaches are doing everything they can to be around the players. So, um, you know, I understand why Northwestern went with David because he's an outsider. He hasn't been there as long as, as others and can't really be tied to the period when um, these hazing incidents were going on. Uh, but, but I think, you know, keeping the staff together, uh, trying to keep the team together, you know, they're going to try to get through this season and then obviously look to the future with a new head coach. Adam Rittenberg, ESPN, is with us. Uh, I, I continue to follow this. Uh, love your reporting on it. also want to ask you about a couple other things that are developed in the last 24 hours in college sports. Uh, Tennessee, uh, Tennessee football program uh, got slapped today with five years of probation, a fine, bunch of uh, violations, hundreds of violations. What did you make of the punishment from the NCAA to Tennessee? Well, it's certainly interesting because 
it, it was a, a, a trove of violations and major violations. And we knew that. Uh, we knew that uh, yeah, there have been different NCAA investigations and different schools and different issues. But Tennessee's was, was almost like comically sloppy with how they tried to cheat. Um, and, uh, and so you knew it was going to be uh, you know, severe in, in nature. But I, I also got a little bit of a kick out of this, John. I don't know if you saw the, the, the statement from Tennessee Chancellor Donde Plowman uh, when, 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 you know, when they came out with the uh, penalties. And she mentions the lack of the bowl ban in the very first line. So I just don't know how many university presidents or chancellors <laughs> on, on, on what should be an embarrassing day, a day when you get hit with more than 200 individual NCAA violations, 18 level one violations. When, when I was trying to share the list of penalties, John, and maybe I'm just bad at screenshots, I had to take two screenshots with my phone in order to show all the different uh, penalties on Twitter. And her first line mentions the lack of a bowl ban. So you kind of know where Tennessee's focus is, and, and I get it. it. It's about a program that was, had a great season last year that wants to compete for the SEC and the college football playoff. But thank God we didn't get a bowl ban, even though we, uh, we were losing scholarships and have to pay an $8 million fine and, and so forth. And, and there have been some humorous comments today, just, you know, like remember the Ohio State tattoo scandal and selling their – selling their, you know, rewards for beating Michigan. I mean, we've come a, come a long way in, in NCAA infractions cases since then. Adam, uh, the, it, the Arizona State fans had to be watching what Tennessee got. Can we draw – can we reasonably draw a correlation between, hey, maybe Arizona State won't get hit as hard for within their investigation, or in your experience, has it been apples and oranges? One investigation does not necessarily dictate punishment on the next. No, I think it can be instructive to look at how the NCAA infractions committee is, is looking at rulings and penalties uh, with, with every case. It seems like the bowl ban, which is always seen as the is a bit of a death knell for programs, or certainly a temporary one, is not something that they they want to use lightly. Uh, you certainly Tennessee, you know, would have deserved one at least judging by how these uh, infraction uh, hearings would would have gone not long ago, but. It feels like they're kind of moving away from that, maybe going more towards financial penalties. I have mixed feelings on bowl bans. I never love when players who have nothing to do with uh, infractions have to pay the price for things that coaches and other people did who are no longer with the program. So uh, I, the thing with Arizona State, though, again, similarly sloppy, similarly uh, uh, you know, poor job of, of kind of covering their tracks, so to speak. The difference there is that the violations occurred – you know, during a COVID period when you weren't supposed to be hosting and recruiting and doing all these things. And so I, I just wonder if the infractions committee looks at that in a different light than the Tennessee ones, because that was a national policy. That was something, you know, a time period when no one was supposed to be putting recruits or anyone in, in sort of harm's way from a public health standpoint. Is, is that, is does that potentially open them up for more severe penalties than Tennessee, even though the totality is, is not as is not as significant as I, um, I guess I don't think it's as significant as what we saw today from from the infractions committee in terms of listing the actual violations. Pac-12 uh, media rights negotiation is ongoing. Uh, we got some news out of the ACC yesterday. CW and the ACC have struck a deal to air 50 football and basketball games. Um, it it to me this is an exposure play for the ACC. These games will be available. People can get them. This looks good to me. Uh, it's being celebrated, I think, roundly. 
But uh, I think if the Pac-12 made the same deal, Adam, I think there would have been a lot of uh, naysayers on it. Uh, how are you reading this deal for the ACC? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. And, and it's not fair that the Pac-12 would be getting a, a different view of it because from a distribution and viewership standpoint, everybody gets the CW. You know, people, not everyone gets Raycom and, and, and Bally's and some of the these regional sports networks where their games were. And in talking to a you know, prominent source in the ACC today, they were like, our, our main games are not going to be here. But this ensures that every uh, ACC football game and basketball game will be accessible to our audience. And so that's what it's all about here. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and again, it was not their premium package. Obviously, their, their main content will still be on ESPN and the ACC network. But it uh, made, made sense to me. But I think also it's almost like anything the Pac-12 does at this point is going to be ridiculed because of the, the time period and, you know, some of the narrative that the Big 12 has been able to shape here in the media and so forth. And, and so, I, listen, I, you've done great reporting on this all the way through John Wilner and you guys have done great jobs. I'm just so, this is one of the, I mean, I've said this on the radio before, so it's not breaking news. One of the dumbest stories I've ever seen evolve in college <laughs> yeah. sports. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to some type of resolution. I'm sure you can echo that to a degree being right in the middle of it. Yeah, I, I'm ready for it to be over and out. Uh, all right, so a little bit of football before I let you go here. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. we got a lot of Beaver fans listening. Dan Lanning at Oregon. Uh, right now the Beavers uh, over-under win total is sitting right around 8.5. The Ducks are sitting at 9.5. What do you think about those two numbers, those two coaches, both teams coming off 10-win seasons? It's going to be fun to finally talk some football, so let's do it. Beavers, Ducks, give us you know your outside-in assessment of those two programs. Right. Well, I was actually fortunate enough to, to, to visit both this spring, and so you're talking with both Dan and, and Jonathan and, and actually seeing Oregon State practice. That was uh, that was great just to get a little bit more insight on, on where they are. Um, I, I think they're both, you know, programs that are trending in a good direction. Uh, I'm really excited to see, you know, the, the, the follow-up at Oregon. You know, they, they, they probably were the most talented team in the conference last year and, and, and couldn't get it done at some big moments to advance to the Pac-12 championship game and try to win another Pac-12 title. And so, you know, how do they follow it up now that, you know, USC should be really good, Washington should be really good, Utah's obviously won the league, the last couple of years. Um, and so, you know, getting to 10 wins is going to be maybe even a little harder this year than it was last year because of the depth of the conference. And the same with Oregon State, which got to 10 wins last year and had some great moments. Obviously, the win against Oregon, they just lose a lot. You know, they lose some, some key players. Uh, you know, Omar Spates is a big loss on defense. Um, you know, receiver position was really banged up when I was out there this spring. Obviously intrigued by DJ Wangalale and whether they can find and I kind of unlock what, what, what can make him a difference maker for them at quarterback. So really one of the more interesting teams in, in the Pac-12 in the Pac uh, um, and, uh, and, and all college football. And I think people are, are learning about Jonathan Smith. You, you and your listeners obviously know a lot about him, but I think he's gaining more and more respect around the country, which is a great thing because he does a great job. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Pac-12 Media Day coming up next week. I will see you there in Vegas, Adam. Uh, who are you most interested in talking with in Vegas uh, among the coaches? Let's start there. Yeah, I won't be there, unfortunately. I'll have some colleagues there, but I'll be certainly living vicariously through all of you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was able to talk with uh, with several Pac-12 coaches in person this spring, but you're certainly hearing from Kyle Whittingham and, 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 the, and the health of Cam Rising is a big story going into the year. 
Deion Sanders is going to be a major story, obviously, uh, at Pac-12 Media Days. I think Chip Kelly, you know, what does UCLA do to follow up some pretty good seasons but not a true breakthrough? And, you know, they're getting ready to go to the Big Ten as well in a year. You know, where are they at as a team that loses a four-year starter at quarterback and, and DTR but you know, is going to try to maintain their momentum before they make the move to the uh, – to, to, to the Big Ten. So, yeah, th- those are some coaches, but I think it's going to be a really important event. I mean, of all the media days, I don't know if any more news is going to come out of uh, 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 any of them but the Pac-12 or more than the Pac-12 because of what, what we're all waiting on the uh, media rights. Adam Rittenberg, ESPN. Thank you, Adam. I know you're busy. Appreciate your insight and your expertise. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me on. All right, there he goes. Read him on ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter. Love what he said, show, not tell. You know what he means by that? Paint the picture. Don't tell people what's going on. Show them what's going on. I want your phone calls now on all those subjects, all of the waiting, the ducks, the beavers, 503-417-7575. Let it rip. Good stuff from Adam Rittenberg. Coming up, Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix, will be joining us. We will geek out with Bartu on a variety of... uh, a variety of subjects as it pertains to uh, uh, college athletics and coaching in particular. Um, Adam Rittenberg doing a, doing a great job covering uh, the uh, the landscape of college football. And I, and I agree with him that the Pac-12 story is silly. It is a silly story. It's a ridiculous story. And the backbiting and the destabilization attempts, particularly by people in the Big 12 footprint, are pathetic. I think in the end, you're not seeing, you know, Arizona and Utah, and you're not seeing Oregon and Washington bolting to other conferences. Um, you're just seeing a lot of talk about that, a lot of bluster, and then everybody going, well, we're not really trying to do that. Uh, keep an eye on it as uh, the Pac-12, I think, will move to a resolution. I think they'll get a deal. And finally, in September, October, November, we will start to see a bunch of football games and people will stop talking about it. On that note, we need to play some punch it audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Sabrina Ionescu, former University of Oregon star, scored a record 37 points to win the WNBA's three-point contest. Here's how it sounded. Ionescu had a big first round with 26. Wickham at 28. Gosh, it looks so easy, It does. Well, one of the things Sabrina's talked about shooting this year for the Liberty is she's never had this many open shots before in her career. Obviously, Brianna Stewart creates that gravity, and it's created a lot of practice for shots like that she just cashed in on the entire money ball rack and the starry ball sabrina Ionescu is putting up a monster final round wow she cannot miss whoa sabrina Ionescu! my goodness Ionescu on fire this is ridiculous has this arena buzzing finally misses she's already up to 31 in the corner 
This is incredible. Sabrina Ionescu, you bet. The greatest performance we have ever seen in this contest. And it is not even close. Sabrina Ionescu makes a statement. Nobody's surprised in our footprint. But uh, setting a record in the three-point contest, she wins it. Crazy final round. Good for her. Not surprised. Meanwhile, Blazers fans excited about Scoot Henderson. What will it be? He says it'll be showtime with he and Shaden Sharp. Here he is watching film with the ringers, Kevin O'Connor. Oh, see, when we get that down, it's over with, man. Oh, my God. When we get that down, because it was, it was right there. He definitely just flat. Yeah, he guy, this guy is done for. <laughs> once you get the chemistry, once you get that, it's over. It's so, gonna be showtime. How would you describe Shaden Sharp to somebody who's never watched him play? Super skilled. He can do everything on the floor, man. You know, I love, love playing with guys that that just go out there and play to win. You know, and, and that's what he does. You know, he can shoot it very well. He can attack the basket, as you can see. He dunked, he dunked on uh, Jay Huff, a uh, very good shot blocker. So yeah, uh, you know, that just tells you, you know, who he is as a player tell you who he is as a player a lot of blazer fans watching summer league watching highlight clips um and getting excited about what scoot henderson could be meanwhile damian lillard announcing a summer camp that he's gonna hold in phoenix arizona well this camp was held in beaverton last summer punch it. super excited about the second annual formula zero camp we're bringing it to phoenix this year Looking forward to seeing a lot of the new campers. This camp is not just about helping them become better basketball players, but making them become better young men. I think that's something that was pulled out of me and which has contributed a lot to my success. Being able to share this experience with a lot of these younger guys, you know, that's what makes me the most happy and it makes me feel like I'm serving the most. So I look forward to seeing you guys again. Look, I hear people are saying Lillard's legacy won't be affected by any of this. His comments, his trade request all of this stuff um no i think he's i think he's playing with a little bit of fire here when it comes to his legacy i'm not saying holding your summer camp in phoenix and not beaverton it's going to cause people to turn on you but it's evident that he's detaching from the state of oregon and i don't blame blazer fans for being annoyed with it and you know for a long time we heard oh he's such a great guy he's such a great guy look at the camps look at what he stands for in the end NBA players are going to be NBA players. They will generally do what is best for them. If it works for you, too, you'll love them for it. Damian Lillard taking his camp to Phoenix. I don't think it's the end of the world, but it's just another stick uh, on the fire, so to speak. Jerry West, meanwhile, he's uh, he is a consultant with the Clippers, refused to answer a question on the Dan Patrick Show about James Harden. Harden want to go to the Clippers, stay with the Clippers, be with the Clippers. Here's Jerry West. Punch it. Right, I don't want you to get fined here, but I saw where James. I'm, uh, <laughs> James... I'm going to call Adam and tell him. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll call Adam and tell him. Um, James Harden says that he wants to go to the Clippers. Uh, I'm not going to get into that one, Dan. You're not a... Okay. That, that'll cost us if, if uh, you talk about that. That crosses the line. You know, players say a lot of things, Dan, but they really don't have control of where they go. In the end, Jerry West. Is he spitting truth? We'll find out. Appears that, uh, you know, Kevin Durant had some control. 
We've seen some other players who have struggled to have control. But uh, I don't think Jerry West, I don't think that's totally true. I do think players have some control over where they go. But I also think that there has been some pushback in the last 18 months or so. If we've seen some trade requests from some owners, clearly in Brooklyn, you had an owner who said, I'm not going to do what Kevin Durant wants me to do. I'm not letting him run this organization. Finally, Jerry DePoto, general manager of the Mariners. He was on Seattle Sports 710 talking about Shohei Otani. He thought it was really cool to see Mariners fans chanting Shohei's name. Punch it. I thought it was pretty cool, actually. And 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 again, just like we talked about with Julio, there's whether whether it's some form of adoration, it's a it had to feel good if you were Shohei Otani to realize that you know a, a rival club, you know that the fan base would react that way and. You know, it's, uh, he's a special player, having a special year, and I thought it was really cool that our fans showed him that type of adoration because you know, it was clearly not, you know, it, those were thoughts not being expressed by greater Major League Baseball fans who flew into Seattle. Those were Mariner fans, and it was pretty cool. Jerry DePoto, Shohei Otani, every general manager in the, in the Major League Baseball would love to have Shohei Otani. Uh, in their lineup. It's going to be really interesting to see where he finishes this season, where he starts next season. He's a free agent at the end of the season. But I think fans in San Francisco and in other places all all chanting his name or all would chant his name, given the opportunity. Coming up, Dave Bartu, the college football matrix. He will be with us to talk about coaching in college football. Where are the best coaching staffs? And uh, ultimately, if you are a uh, college football fan, how much stock can you put in your coaching staff to develop the talent that they're recruiting? Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix, is next. Leave it here. Dave Bartu is the College Football Matrix. He is uh, one of the founders of Matrix Analytical, does some consulting. He has put out a coaching database and he's done this for a while, but he has given the public some access to it now. Who are the best coaches in the Pac-12? He's put out a coach rating index. Matrix Analytical Solution has broken down the league's all-conference coaching staffs. Who are they? Where are they? And how did he determine, using data, who the good coaches are? Dave Bartu joining us now. Thank you, my friend, for making time for us. Dude, it's all dart. That's how we determine it. It's all dart. <laughs> science? So, no science, yeah, yeah, just yeah. darts. No, no, no. We just we put all the unit coaches in alphabetical order, take a shot of whiskey, and throw a dart. And then write it down, <laughs> and then take another shot. So by, 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 the, the, by end. the end, we're on shot 24. Yeah, and we've got first three. So no, no, you you know me. And a little consulting. Ah, oh, come on, man. We only have the biggest college football search engine in the world right now. I mean, it's uh, it, it's fun having an impact on college football, but uh, no, we we there's actually some numbers and reason behind uh, first and second team all Pac-12 uh, coaching staffs this year. All right, so we, we generally try to try to quantify player performance. Mm-hmm. You right. have done this for decade plus where you have tried to quantify 
coaching performance. How much has the uh, how much has the tool itself that you use to measure the coaches with changed or the data that's going into the system? Uh, we started back in 2009 with a goal of, of creating this, of, of leading college football into analytics on, on the staffing side because, you know, that, that's, that's really what Moneyball was about. It wasn't on-field performance. It was off-field and, and roster development. And we decided to do it with staffing. So we've been keeping track of every guy – to wear a headset uh, in the FBS and FCS since 2009. And we've been keeping track of every play in FBS and FCS. So since 2009, there have been just about 4.2 million snaps of the football. Uh, There have been 15,182 different guys to wear a headset. And for for everybody listening, guys that wear the headset, uh, basically there's 11 guys on any staff uh, that can wear a headset during the football game. Uh, these are your highest paid guys. There's a lot of other assistants, valuable assistants, but we just focus on uh, the known quantities. The guys are in charge of the units. And then we use all that play-by-play data to, to analyze them. Now, over the years, a couple things that have changed. Um, one of the things is we started adding in talent that you have versus the talent that you're facing. Okay, so in in our backyard, we, we we know that what we know Oregon has out recruited Oregon State every year basically for the last fifteen years, right? So when they when when Oregon and Oregon State have the exact same schedule, the talent difference between Oregon and the other twelve teams on the schedule and Oregon State and the other twelve teams, two totally different talent profiles. So guys that have less talent that do equally well let's say as the guys with more talent we we started balancing things out using talent numbers and then we started balancing things out using progression does a coach get better or does a coach get worse um and uh, helfrich was one of kind of the examples of that uh, because we were looking at his four-year average at oregon it's like ah, it doesn't look too bad but it regressed from a championship team to fired in in 48 games basically so we have a regression and a progression uh, part of the equation that weighs in on, on on good and bad coaches. Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix, is with us. I'm looking at your Pac-12 first and second teams, and mm-hmm. you gave head coach Lincoln Riley a 94.26 rating. He is your first team head coach. The play mm-hmm. caller, your first team play caller, is also Lincoln Riley. Uh, Your defensive play caller, Morgan Scally. Interesting Mm -hmm. that those are the two teams that made it to the Pac-12 title game last season. (laughs) Well, the thing is, though, is now everybody listen, and the one thing I want to remind them is everybody had to have at least four years Mm. at their position to even qualify for grading. So no one hit wonders, right? No Doug Belk that drops a top 10 defense one year and then a bottom 10 the next. So, uh, you know, Riley... Lincoln and Morgan have both been doing this. I think Lincoln has been a head coach for seven years. I think he's been a play caller for 10. He's been doing it for a decade at a, just an extraordinarily high level. But, yeah, it's, it's also no coincidence that your best teams uh, either, A, have the best talent and or, B, have the best talent and the best coaching. Jim Mahalchek, Oregon State's offensive line coach, is your first team all Pac-12 offensive line coach he is a difference Uh maker at oregon state how how big of a difference maker is he in your mind 
He is, uh, I think he is, I think he's top 10 nationally as well. I mean, he is an absolute gift to Corvallis. He is an excellent coach. Um, the numbers in both the running and pass. So when we're grading offensive line coaches, uh, they have two separate, or actually they have three separate grades. They have a run game grade. They have a pass blocking game grade. And then they have a composite uh, offensive line performance grade. So offensive line, it is really hard to be on top of this list. And uh, I actually, before they even, before I was even handed the list, I had my data guy run all of it. Kind of figured he would be there. Um, and, I, and I'm excited for some of these guys because a lot of them don't get any notoriety. But uh, that, that is the, in terms of our grades, that is the number one graded guy uh, in Corvallis right now. Mahalchek gets a big pay raise from Oregon State. That makes sense to me. Uh, I want to go down the list here. You do see some guys like, uh, you know, Bobby April at Stanford. He's the linebacker coach uh, who's on your staff. Why doesn't why doesn't somebody try to poach, you know, a coach like that from Stanford, given the history? Or is the relationship with Stanford what keeps a guy like that there? Well, Bobby April. Um... I'm actually surprised he ended up at Stanford because Bobby April last year was on Wisconsin staff. Mm. And this, this has been a guy that we've had circled for years. He has been a five-star linebacker coach at Wisconsin. Everybody they gave him, they stuffed the run. The, the, the linebacking core at Wisconsin has been unbelievably good for an extremely long time. And that whole staff got laid off with Paul Chris last year. And that was a top 20 staff minus the head coach. Um, and beyond Bobby April, this is kind of a, I, I think Stanford itself, um, is way off the radar in terms of how good this staff is, you know, what they went, what they went from and where they're at right now. Troy Taylor has done an absolutely excellent job. Top three new staffs in all of college football. Uh, and April is one of them. Now, April is their new defensive play caller. Mm. He's never done that before. So there is, there is your risk in Bobby April, but uh, Bobby April is not only the first-team all-pack all 12 linebacker coach. Uh, if we had a national list, he is also the number one graded linebacker coach with more than four years' experience in all of college football right now. Fantastic. Uh, Dave Bartu is with us. How do you parse out you know, programs that are getting better talent and, you know, because we often, you know, we'll hear coaches say, you know, if I had better players, if I had the Jimmies and the Joes, I could be a better coach. What do you say to them? Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a lot to say with that because by our numbers, uh, winning and losing games in college football at the FBS level, it's about 63, 64% recruiting. Okay. If, if you, if you, if you and I sat down and there's going to be 738 FBS versus FBS games this year, and we just circled, regardless of home or road, if we just simply circled the best recruiter on all of those games, you and I would get about 64% of the, the winners right, straight up on recruiting, nothing else, okay? Um, most of the rest of it is going to be the coaching side of it. So, you know, you could say, hey, I, I need better players to get where I need to go. Yes, that will help, but if you don't have a good coaching staff, you're probably going to get fired. You know, last year there were 17 guys in the FBS that were fired. Outside of Paul Crisp, the other 16 all had one side of the ball in our grading system that was in the bottom half of the country rankings coming in. 
it was a below average offense or defensive support staff. So to us, staffing is about 30, 30 to 35% of the equation. So it's not as important as recruiting, but all too often, and I'm guilty of this years ago as well, is we overvalue the recruiting and we don't pay enough attention to the coaching side, but it's very difficult to do staffing because a lot of these guys don't have time to develop relationships. Most of them don't have time to develop relationships and identify good coaches. So it's a special talent to be able to staff very well, um, especially with young coaches. That, that usually takes a little bit of time. In our backyard with, with Dan and with Jonathan, uh, Jonathan is an incredibly good example of ability to staff. I mean, he, he's gone from bottom 25 staff his first year to top 25 now. Uh, and Dan has been very good at identifying young guys uh, like Hampton uh, that are coming up through. Uh, so staffing to us is is really key to success in college football as well. Dave Bartu, the college football matrix, is with us. He's talking about uh, his report where he has graded coaching in the Pac-12 conference, first team, second team. Your second team head coach is Kyle Whittingham, offensive play caller Ryan Grubb at Washington uh, let's talk about those two guys. Uh, let's start with Grubb. Mm-hmm. He gets he got a couple of raises last year, and Kalen DeBoer happy to have him there. How much of a difference maker is Ryan Grubb at Washington in your mind? G- ginormous, ginormous. They went from the outhouse to the penthouse uh, in one year. That was uh, they had well number one. They had massive upgrades across the board. Um, going from the former head coach uh, to DeBoer was huge. Um, you know, DeBoer only has three years in as a head coach, so he didn't even qualify for this list for those wondering about him. Um, and, and with Grubb, I was on your show last year. I'm like, this is, this guy is easily top four play callers in the Pac-12. You know, we had, we had, uh, Lincoln Riley, we had Chip Kelly, uh, we had Ryan Grubb, uh, and, and so Ryan was right in there. Uh, he bumped up a lot this year. Uh, because of the progression, Washington went from basically nothing on offense to top 20 last year. Uh, and, yeah, I know Penix is going to be a first round, maybe even the first pick next year. But there was a massive progression instantly in that Washington offense. Uh, so that actually boosted him up where, where he was, uh, where he's number two going into the 2023 season as the offensive play caller. It's off script a little bit, but you know, you, you mm-hmm. just said something that, that made me think about uh, Oregon and Will Stein. You got a new play caller at Oregon, but you have mm-hmm. Bo Nix coming back. How concerned should right. Duck fans be about that marriage, that unity, given that Grubb and Penix are at a rival school? You know, I, I uh, the, the, with Stein, okay, so Stein has one year. You know, let's take a look at Stein uh, okay. as the first part of that equation. He had a really good year last year, okay? Um, he, he, he was top five rookie offensive play callers in all of college football last year out of, out of UT San Antonio. So he had an excellent year. But, again, it's one year, so we, we shouldn't get too far over our skis on it. So the concern, if you're a Duck fan, you're like, oh, man, is, is he going to perform the same – or even close to the same and have a top 20 offense like he did at UTSA. And under normal circumstances, I would say, you know, let's really slow our roll. That is a big concern, but look what Bo Nix did for Kenny Dillingham last year. Okay. I know duck fan loved Kenny Dillingham. I know they were top 10 offensive scoring efficiency, but Kenny called the plays 
at Florida State the previous two years, and they weren't top 50 in anything, anywhere. And gets to Oregon, and I don't know how much of it was Kenny versus how much of it was the scheme, the offensive line, Bo Nix, but I'm less worried about having a second-year offensive coordinator with a super veteran, awesome quarterback, uh, with what he did last year for, for his first year with Oregon. A lot less concerned about it for 2023 because of what he did last year. Still concerned about where Stein's going to go, but it is a very good calculated risk by Coach Lanning to bring in a rising star offensive coordinator to Eugene. Dave, it, it's going to be fun to watch the football. We're all waiting mm-hmm. for the media deal to be done. Media day next fri- Friday in Vegas. If if uh, you could go to media day and talk to any of the coaches, any of the players, what would you right. ask them? Because I'll be there, and I'll, I can say, hey, Dave Bartu told me to ask you, blah, blah, blah. What, you know, what do you want to know? <laughs> the ones I work with will probably deny I even exist. Yeah. Holy moly. Um, what, what, would I, what would I want to know? What, what kind of question would I – the guys I'd want to talk to? I would want to so – so Arizona – I would want to – the two questions I would have, one would be for Coach Jed Fish, what happens if the defense is as crappy as it was last year? This was a top, top 30 offense and a bottom 30 defense. Are you going to make changes midseason if you're going down the same path as you did last year, which is massive underperformance? Um, and, and I know you'd phrase it a little bit differently in that, but that, that comes right off the top of my head. What are you going to do about that defense? Uh, I'd also want to ask Delora a question. There, there's a guy at Arizona. Man, I could, I think I could, t- I could answer, I could ask questions for half an hour right now as I'm going through this. Right? <laughs> you know, if we went through team by team. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd want to talk to Delora about his goals and what he thinks his NFL future is, because I think he's one of the biggest underrated quarterbacks in all of college football. Um, I think the one under over overline question that I can think of right now for everybody. And when you look at the first and second teams, if you look at all the offensive grades and all the defensive grades, you will notice one thing. The offense absolutely dominates the defensive grades. This is a massively offensive-oriented conference. The defensive grades are not great compared to the offense. These are all still rock star coaches, but the offense just feels like it's light years ahead. I would ask everybody outside of probably Utah – uh, and Oregon State, because Oregon State had the best scoring efficiency defense last year. And by the way, rising star Trent Bray, he's, he's badass too. Um, I would be asking everybody, what are you doing on the coaching side of the defense to get better? Because everybody's figured out the offensive side pretty good. What are you doing on the defensive side to improve? Because that universally is the weakest area in the Pac-12. Dave Bartu, you're the best. <laughs> Where can people find the full coaching rankings? Oh, well, you know something? It, it was put out by CBS Sports and 247. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, I've been tweeting the links for, for all um, Power 5 conferences out there. Yeah. Uh, and if you're out here in Forest Grove, uh, I'm an equal, equal opportunity beer drinker. So if anybody <laughs> wants to meet him at Minimum's <laughs> Grand Lodge and talk football all evening and shove beers down my throat, I'm happy to, to trade stories for beers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll trade stories for beers. Hey, let me ask you on the uh, yeah. on the rankings. If you mm-hmm. blend together all the Power Fives, who is yeah. the best head coach by your rankings in Power Five football? Who's the best offensive play caller? 
Oh, uh, best head coach is still Nick Saban. I mean, you can't deny what he's done since 2009. Uh, Kirby's right behind him. Then Lincoln, Day, Dabo, uh, and Jim Harbaugh. There's your top six right there. Um, order them any way you want. We have Nick number one. Uh, play callers, still Lincoln Riley. It's still Lincoln Riley. Um, his numbers, I mean, he chews through quarterbacks. He, I know a lot of people say, well, his schedule hasn't been that tough. Yeah, but he, does, he hasn't even had a bad year. Not one. After 10 years of calling plays at three different schools, uh, he's still the best offensive play caller. Uh, in all of college football, and the best defensive play caller, former UW defensive coordinator was Chris Peterson, Kajikowski. Uh That's uh, that's your number one guy that we have as a as a play caller because we don't know Kirby's calling the plays or not, so we're not giving it to him. So Kajikowski used to be there as well. Dave Bartu, I appreciate you. Thank you for your expertise, your knowledge, and your humor. I'm in your backyard, man. Anytime, buddy. Anytime. I'm not trading beers for information, though, but I I do like talking with you. <laughs> Take it easy, brother. There he goes. Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix. Uh, uh, what do you think about all that, Judah, as he breaks down all of the uh, all of the coaching, skaking out on it? I think this is good off-season talk. I love it. I love it. I, I think it's a little bit um... – you know, fans might find it boring that Lincoln Riley is so great, but it is a good reminder that this is an alpha of among play callers in the history of the sport. You know, that's uh, still in the Pac-12 conference. And by the way, a play caller that Trent Bray absolutely befuddled last year. And I keep coming back to that game, you know, because Caleb is heralded as the best athlete we've seen in a decade to play the quarterback position in college football. And the Beavers had them all sorts of tangled up. They had Lincoln Riley all sorts of tangled up in front of a half-capacity you know, capacity stadium because of the renovations. Yeah. And if it wasn't for five turnovers, they pull off that upset, they pull off that win, and we're talking about an 11-win season potentially. Yeah, and I think uh, Oregon State, that's the one they wish they had back. I mean, if Chance Nolan plays a little better on the offensive side of the ball, you know, that was a game where Caleb Williams in the USC offense – was sit, they were sitting on three points, you know, deep into the game. And mm-hmm. if you got anything at all offensively at Oregon State, and I think that's why there's so much hope this season with Oregon State and DJ Uyunglele and, uh, of course, Aiden Childs, the future of the program, and maybe even Ben Gulbranson, who, who was serviceable down the stretch last year, that there's a little bit of hope that if they can get a playmaker at that position – they can take a step forward that would be a, uh, a an interesting step forward, to say the least. All right, we're going to talk uh, with tr- about traditions in the Pac-12. Anna's going to pop in the studio. I want you to leave it here. You get the BFT statewide. Traditions are big in sports. I'm not talking about superstitions. I'm talking about traditions, big-time traditions. Some of the biggest traditions in college sports um, – um, obviously include things like uh, like the uh, the haka dance that uh, Hawaii and BYU do before games. Um, you've got uh, Tommy Trojan of USC planting the sword at midfield. You've got West Virginia um, playing John Denver's song, Take Me Home, Country Road. They, they play that uh, since 1971. They've done it. Uh, you got Smokey uh, at Tennessee. The mascot, 1953, they had uh, Smokey come out. You have the Smurf turf at Boise State. Um, I'm just, you know, 
thinking about traditions in college sports. And in particular, USA Today did a piece where they focused on traditions of the Pac-12 conference. Here to talk about it, Anna, who has stepped into the studio. Um, Notice I didn't yell there's a mouse in the house. Thank goodness. Uh, Let's talk about traditions, okay? Uh, And I'm going to go through some of these. And Judah, I want your input as well. Because I want to talk about what you guys think the biggest tradition in the Pac-12 conference is. I'll give you the nominees, and then you tell me what the biggest tradition is, okay? I might do some as well. But let's start with running with Ralphie at Colorado. Traditional? Is that a tradition, Anna? You think it's a good tradition? Uh, I think it's entertaining. I am mixed on the idea of having hmm. a live animal running on the field in that manner it's a tradition though it is it is a tradition i think it is it's the, visual the, it's memorable Bal, uh, ralphie the bison not a buffalo comes onto the field with about five handlers wearing blue jeans and button-up shirts and they have this little horseshoe formation around the uh around the bison and they let this thing run and they're holding leashes and um um you know, a lot of times I'm watching to see if one of the handlers falls and and doesn't drop the leash. Because if they don't drop the leash, they get dragged on the field. But um, it feels like a tradition. It feels like a tradition. You've been there uh, in person, right? Yeah. To see this? It Yeah, I've seen it a number of times, as people have seen it on TV. How about uh, sailgating at, at Lake Washington at Husky Stadium? People who bring their sailboats up to the lip of Lake Washington. And, uh, you know, even Steve Sarkeesian parked his own boat there when he was coaching. He called it Noah's Sark. Noah Sark. Get it? <laughs> um, is that a tradition, sailgating at Lake Washington? How about the duck on the back of the Harley-Davidson coming into Autzen Stadium on game day? Are those traditions in your mind, Judah? Yeah, they're absolutely uh, tradition. I don't know about sailgating, actually. <laughs> that one, yeah. I don't know. To me, a tradition's got to be either, you know, I guess a tailgate tradition in the parking lot yeah. and something in stadium. You know, I think the chopper, okay. the duck is great. I think the never rains, Donna. Don Essig Ooh, yeah. thing. I think that's part of it, although I don't love that one, but I kind of get it. I like things wait, that wait, are... wait, wait. You, wait, you don't love when Don Essig goes, <laughs> it never rains at Autzen Stadium? I just don't, I, I just don't no get it. No one's ever said that out loud. I know, I know. You're saying Such an what original nobody take. will say. Such an original take, and we love Don. I have him on the show every year with you, but uh, yeah. that's one that I just... It leaves me scratching my head, but in a way. Okay, fans, here's the weather report for today's game. It's 70 degrees, slight wind from the north, and some clouds. But you know the real weather report. It never rains at Autzen Stadium. Wow. uh, You're not feeling that one. I don't love it. I love it. I think there's some backstory to that. Uh, with Essig and there was an umbrella band for the games and uh, one of the athletic directors was kind of being weird about, you know, hey, we're not going to allow umbrellas. And I think uh, it was a joke that was made and it just kind of stuck. I wonder if they'll continue it after Don Essig stops being the PA announcer. Hmm. You know, 
Also, yeah, they still they still say Rip City, Bill Shonley. That's you know? iconic. But it never rains, isn't? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> how about uh, how about Arizona? Bear down. Wait, back up to Oregon though, because I think the article talks about the song "Shout" from Animal House. Yeah, and that song between the third and fourth quarters. I don't know if I haven't been to enough Ducks games. You but, haven't. Um, you haven't. I don't remember. You have that. to be there. It's yeah. one of those things where you have to be there. Yeah, they're not. You're not going to get it on TV. Right. How many Oregon Ducks football games at Autzen Stadium have you personally witnessed? I've. Yeah. Not very many. Probably four or five. Not very many. I've seen the Ducks play in other cities a lot. Yeah, they're right? not going to do it in other cities unless it's a bowl game. <laughs> right. The other city's not going to be like, you know what? You the know Ducks what are here. <laughs> we should totally make them feel like they're at home. You know? No. It, it's at the end of the third quarter, between the third and fourth quarters. Now, I think it got a little overblown with, uh, you know, when you had uh, Die running around the field dancing, distracted. It almost became so much of the show that it was less, the fourth quarter was just like started with a bad play Mm. if the Ducks were on defense because you had Die as a linebacker who was running around on the field more interested in dancing than he was (laughs) in making a tackle on the first play of the fourth quarter. (laughs) But it, it, you know, but it is, it's a nod to Animal House, 1978, filmed on the campus in Eugene. Washington State has some traditions. They uh, they play a song uh, like Oregon does. Like Oregon plays that Matt uh, Kearney song, Matt Carney mm-hmm. song. Uh, I think it's like Coming Home. Yeah. They play that song uh, during the uh, great song during the uh, you know start of uh, of the uh, during the first quarter. It's like during a break, the first break in the action. But Washington State does a very similar thing. They have a song. But they, Washington State has another one that USA Today pointed out. Like, USA Today, I don't think they got this all right. Because for Washington State, they have the game day flag. Mm-hmm. They got known for that. Like, every episode of game day for 20 seasons, starting in 2003, had a homemade flag for Washington State flying. Mm-hmm. You know, it, wherever the game day is, Washington State flag shows up. Hmm. Somebody's job to get it there. But... If you go to a Washington State football game, they do a very uh, similar thing with uh, with the song that that gets played, and people say, "Oh, it's kind of a ripoff, whatnot." But you know, Washington State fans will sing, you know, uh, Andy Grammer song "Back Home." Oh yeah, that, that's right. I've that plays. That. I love that song. I actually don't understand what it has to do with Washington State, but <laughs> I, you know, maybe I don't know. But they will play that song during the games. Um, are, are we talking about traditions, though, in the true sense? Because, like, this isn't like the Gipper. This isn't like the old oaken bucket in the uh, Purdue-Indiana battle. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like the one of the greatest traditions of the Pac-12 was the Civil War football game. And then everyone all of a sudden said, you can't say Civil War anymore. Yeah. You know? Even though... That had nothing to do with the the act like the Civil War, first of all, and then secondarily, the Civil War came out okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, didn't the good guys win? Right. We I talked to a historian. <laughs> we had him on the show, and he said, you know, for people who think referencing the Civil War would be a negative thing. Yeah. And he gave a whole background on how great it was that you know the Civil War was 
You know, it, it wasn't as simple as saying that the Civil War was a war that was fought to end slavery. It wasn't yeah. quite that simple. Right. But it had largely positive connotations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people don't want to say it anymore. Mm. I think they thought it was too trite to call a football game. I Yeah, but, but we, we throw long bombs in a football game. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a Hail yeah. Mary going on. <laughs> it's going to be a Hail Mary pass. It's a long bomb. It's not actually a bomb. Okay? It's a pass. Yeah. You know, this, we're not going through TSA. You know, it's not like we can't talk about things in hyperbole in sports. You know, like we couldn't do that, there would be no broadcast. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the entire broadcast is hyperbole. So it's, it, it, you know what I mean? It feels to me like, I don't know. At the end, you know, what, that's what we do in sports. We make it, we make things far bigger than they really are. This is theater. First and goal at the nine. Mariota, play fake. I mean, you know, isn't it? Isn't that what we do? Yeah, we—it's dramatic. Yeah, we we set football to Titanic it's soundtrack. Marcus Mariota on the front of the boat with his arms raised, <laughs> with Chip Kelly behind him, holding him around the waistband. You know. <laughs> that's what we do okay um but you know i, I kind of look at these things and i get it usa today is trying to fill some time in what is a slow week when it comes to the sports calendar and they're saying here are the great traditions of the pac-12 it's ralphie it's sailgating at washington it's you know usc's two-finger salute you know, because Homer used to cut off the first two fingers of their defeated enemies, like the Trojans did that, according to Homer. Mm. Homer said that the Trojans cut off the first two fingers of their defeated enemies' right hand. Because that, why would they do that? It would prevent them from holding a sword. Mm. So instead of killing them, they just cut off their fingers and be like, you can't fight anymore. Sorry. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah, you didn't know it. It's a great no. tradition. So great that you didn't know it. <laughs> Bear down at Arizona. Yeah. Okay, there's a story for Bear Down. People may not know it. I definitely don't know Okay, that so here it goes. 1926, John Bird Button Salmon. What a name. Yeah, they called him Button. John Bird Salmon. He was in a car accident, shattered his spine, left him paralyzed. Two weeks later, he would die from the injuries. But he spent the night before his death with Arizona coach Pop McHale, who asked him, what do you want to share with your teammates? And Salmon said, Tell them to bear down. That's where that bear down slogan at Arizona was born. No way. It's a win-win for the Gipper tail. So there you have it. Do you think most Arizona fans know that? Or do they I just say so. it? Is it just something they say? I know when I first started covering the Pac-12, I was confused by it. Yeah. Because I was like, they're not the Bears. Right. The, like the Cal Bears should have bear down. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, bear down comes from like a saying um, Arizona State does forks up. You get forks up, yeah. but that's not a that's not like a great tradition. That's yeah. just people making a hand gesture. That looks like a pitchfork. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. How about Cal? How about Oregon State? Oregon State has the first down song. You know, da 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 da, da and the whole stands goes whoosh. Yeah. Everybody goes whoosh. Um, there you go. That's a tradition. It's also a tradition to find ancient mammoth bones in the stadium when you were <laughs> digging around down there. Um, I just think we need some better traditions. 
Hmm. You know, like, that's your assessment. Yeah. What 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 is the best tradition in the Pac-12, Judah? What is the greatest tradition that the Pac-12 conference has to offer? Yeah, well, I see traditions a little differently, you know, with the Pac-12. Um, I'm going to miss the Larry Scott upscale hotel rooms for no apparent Ooh, yeah. reason. That was one of my favorite traditions. Also, Champagne, Larry. grainy uh, television footage of 745 kickoffs oh. with Dave Fleming and Rod Gilmore <laughs> yes, on the call. tradition. Yeah, the, yeah, people getting mad at the broadcasters. Big, How about officials officiating? That, that's such a good one. Yeah, Woody Dixon greatest. randomly showing up. That's a tradition <laughs> yeah. unlike any other. Um, greatest tradition of the Pac-12 yeah. is the officials huddling. Forgetting to do review. <laughs> what down it is or yeah. like mismarking something and then apologizing for it later. I'm just um, gonna, the chainsaw yeah, just, at Oregon State in all in all seriousness is mm, I, I kind of mm, like that one. Even though didn't make USA Today. No. Oh, it should have. Yeah. Because uh, they're not doing their homework. You know, that's that's the problem. <laughs> that's actually a chainsaw. <laughs> That's the chainsaw. <laughs> it's third down. That's true. I think that's that's bigger than that song that they play. Do you remember when they did Crank It Like a Chainsaw? They did a song? Mm-mm. You don't remember this? Vaguely. Oh, I got to play a little bit of this tune. Just a little bit. Just a sample. Yeah, they like the way I do this. When I crank it like a chainsaw. Yeah, they like the way I do this. When I crank it like a chainsaw Full throttle, heavy metal, set the bar, next level Wasteland, getting all janky, so glow I don't know why that didn't take off They played yeah. that where? Oregon Once? State, that was Oregon State's thing really? yeah, I think it was like 2013-ish hmm. Became a thing Crank it like a chainsaw Until it wasn't and a then, thing yeah. I don't know why I didn't get Like Sometimes it baffles me that things don't take off You know, like the Edsel why didn't that car work? You know? The Etzel? You don't even know it. No, this is one I of these don't. things. That, are you kidding me? I thought me? of Jim Etzel. You were you were an international business yeah? major. You were a double major. Should this have been a unit in one of my classes? This is a business lesson. Okay. Okay? The Etzel car. The Etzel. Yeah. The Etzel was supposed to be a big hit, and the, the car huh. just bombed. Huh. And it's used. It's held up today as a example of why, like, you know, a... Uh, uh, of a disastrous business move. Hmm. Ford Motor Company made a division, 1958 to 1960. It was called the Etzel. And they discontinued it because nobody bought the damn car. Nobody liked it. It was ugly. Nobody wanted to have one. It was just ugly. Got discontinued. And uh, I think they sold, like, you know, half of what they needed to break even. It was a it was disastrous failure. People have said that it was the style of the vehicle. Others have said it was poor workmanship. Others have said it was a marketing disaster that Edsel has now become synonymous with the real-life commercial failure of a, of a product. Oh, it's like geez. the Titanic. It's the Edsel. Okay. For crying out loud, why am I educating you? You went well, to Pepperdine. I must not well, have been paying attention. I need to Pepperdine day. to send me a check right I was now. at the beach. At the commercial break, <laughs> I would like Pepperdine to reimburse me for my effort in educating Anna about the Edsel. What was that lesson worth? 27 cents? I would like a check from Pepperdine. Leave it here. Get the BFT. 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour. Anna has uh, is busy preparing her top five stories. She now knows what the Etzel is. You all know what the Etzel is now if you were listening in the last segment. It's my goal here on this show 
Um, interesting story uh, that uh, I want to talk about here. The, the Phoenix Suns, um, they're moving forward with a plan to put their games on free broadcast television. You will be able to see the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, the WNBA team, on free local broadcast TV. This, uh, this came kind of accidentally, but it has caused uh, a few other sports organizations to pay attention, and I kind of wonder what our listeners will think of this. If you're out there and you're somebody who's frustrated with not being able to see the games, the NBA games, your Blazer games, or for years Blazer fans were held hostage by the Comcast Sportsnet Northwest deal, now Root Sports, I don't know if Blazer fans have been complaining lately because I think a lot of Blazer fans have tuned out. But the Phoenix Suns um, are going to put their games on free broadcast television. This came after their regional sports network partner uh, declared bankruptcy. So they were in a longtime partnership with Bally Sports Arizona. The parent company filed for Chapter 11 in March. And the Phoenix Suns said, what should we do? What they decided to do was they decided to put their, over, their games on over-the-air stations in Arizona owned by Gray Television. So this will triple the number of fans or viewers who can watch the game when compared to cable TV. So if you just have an antenna and you live in the Phoenix area, the state of Arizona, you will probably be able to see the Phoenix Suns. Um, there are also some plans to launch a direct-to-consumer option to stream the games over the Internet. So you'll be able to go, hey, do I want to pay six ninety nine? Twelve ninety nine, whatever the the price is, and be able to see the games um, over the uh, over the internet. Now, Matt Ishbia, who is the owner, the new owner of the Suns, said that he's really excited about this. He said, um, you know, two point eight million homes across Arizona will be able to watch these games. And guess what? You won't have to have a cable subscription to do it. You won't have to pay a streaming service. It will be free. The Utah Jazz heard about this and decided to do the same thing with their games. They're going to go free over the air with a local TV station after 15 years of having a regional sports network and national TV games dominate their TV deal. They are also establishing a direct-to-consumer streaming option. Ishbia is celebrating this. And I want to know what you make of this, because I think this is really interesting, and it's exciting, and it kind of dovetails with what Bob Iger, the Disney president, was say, or CEO, was saying yesterday, when he was saying, hey, this, uh, this linear TV thing's in trouble. Streaming is the future. And it looks to me like the Phoenix Suns and the Utah Jazz have figured out, we're going to go direct to consumer eventually. In the interim, we're going to go free over the air. We'll take the commercial revenue of everything that is happening during the games. Our sales staff will sell it. We'll, you know, you, now you can buy a sponsorship for the Phoenix Suns, and you can get signage inside the arena, and you can reach 2.8 million people because we're going to give you some commercials time, airtime with that as well. I think they're on to something here, and I think it needs to come back to that. I'm, I'm, it made me sad years ago when Blazer fans got sold out by their, by their team, and everyone went, well, it's just the direction things are going. Well, the direction is coming back the other way now. Free, over the air, reach bigger audience, have a streaming option for everybody else who really wants to stream the games, because eventually that's where it's going to go. 
I think it's really wise because it makes the games much more accessible. And I'm biased because I grew up as a Blazers fan, and that's how I watched it. Like, I watched it on TV, on regular TV. And um, I think the fan base was expanded because of that. Yes. And it became, you know, once it went to only certain places where you subscribed here and you could see the games, it really closed it off to a lot of the regional population, frankly. And let's face it, not all of us can go and afford to take a family of like four or five to a Blazers game. And being able to watch it on TV and feel that excitement, um, they're going, like, Phoenix fans and Utah fans will benefit from that. Yes. Because the kids in those families, and I, I think of it specifically for the kids, because they can watch the games at home and they can feel the excitement. It'll generate that much more buzz and connect the team that much more with the community. Because right now I feel like, you know, when you go to a Blazers game, yes, there are people there, and yes, there are diehard fans there, but my gosh, people have really made a commitment to stay loyal as fans to that game because, you know, most of us aren't just casually catching it on a TV somewhere. I wondered when the Blazers made their first deal with Comcast Sportsnet Northwest, how that would affect the fan base and, you know, the penetration that the product had. Yeah. With population, meaning that for years and years, it was widely available. You could watch games on a variety of local stations over the years with the Blazers. Yeah. And it did. It did foster fans that were outside of the season ticket holder base. And the Blazers sold out. Remember their sellout streak? They sold out and they sold out and they sold out. When did it stop? Stopped maybe five years after that TV deal. And, mm -hmm. and maybe it's coincidental. But I wondered if what they were doing was they were missing an audience of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 20-year-olds who were not regularly seeing the product. They weren't exposed to it. Yeah. And the Blazers took $120 million deal, $120 million over, you know, 10 years. Okay, cool. You did that deal, but at what expense, truly? Now, the Phoenix Suns and the Utah Jazz, they sell a lot of season tickets. The Phoenix Suns, after getting Kevin Durant, sold a whole bunch of tickets. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're not as concerned about, hey, if we make the games available over the air, you know, people are still going to be in the arena. We're not cannibalizing our season ticket base by making them available. But the Blazers need to look into this. They need to get away from Root. They need to get away from, you know, locking out fans. Put the games over the air. Go to direct-to-consumer. You know, go where the people are. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be a big help to Phoenix and Utah. We'll and see. it would for the see Blazers. See who else follows them. Yeah. Will the Pac-12 follow them? Will the Pac-12 go direct to consumer? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Leave it here. The 5 at 5 is coming up next. you got the BFT. Got a lot of people lobbying Anna on social media for the 5 at 5. What should be in the 5 at 5? Donna advocating for Sabrina Ionescu winning the WNBA All-Star 3-point contest. Remarkable performance. Will it make the five at five? We'll find out coming up. Uh, I hear Tom Brady make make an appearance in the five at five. Will LeBron make an appearance? LeBron coming out the other day at the ESPYS and informing people that he is not, after all, going to be uh, going to be <laughs> retiring. Had to be one of the uh, 
most look at me moments in LeBron's career. Maybe second to I'm taking my talents to South Beach and we're going to win five, six, seven. How many championships he was going to win there? But LeBron coming out when no one was asking if he was going to retire and saying he's not going to retire. That's not breaking news. You know, it's breaking news if Tom Brady said I'm coming back. But it's not breaking news with LeBron saying I'm I'm coming back. Damian Lillard says it too. Is that breaking news? You have four years left in your contract. Give me a break. All right, the five at five. Five biggest stories as Anna sees them. Let's do it. The five at five. The number one story, Anna, in your world is. Okay, let's do it. Donna, thanks for the heads up on Twitter. I always appreciate it. Let's start with Sabrina Ionescu. Do yourself a favor and take a look at the video of her winning this year's three-point contest. She won with a record-setting score of 37 points in the final round, beating out Seattle Storm's Sammy Whitcomb. She missed just two shots. Yeah. She missed the, the very first one. Run. Yes. Very first shot misses. Then she hits 25 of the next 26. <laughs> she is a machine. Just a machine. A performance for the ages. I think she hit 22 in a row. 22, 23 in a row. Here's how it sounded down the stretch. He's putting up a monster final round. Wow. She cannot miss. Whoa. Sabrina Ionescu. My goodness. Ionescu on fire. This is ridiculous. Has this arena buzzing. Finally misses. She's already up to 31 in the corner. This is incredible. Sabrina Ionescu. You bet. The greatest performance we have ever seen in this contest. And it is not even close. Was not close. I think she only needed 11 points to not get eliminated. She she made 37. She walked off the winner. So there you go. So good. Number one story. Not, doesn't surprise anybody. State of Oregon, Pac-12 fans who watched her, you know that it's greatness. Number two story. Gives me goosebumps. Okay. Uh, so we've heard that Shannon Sharp's not going to be chatting with Skate Bayless uh, anymore. Yeah, he's out. But now there is a report that... Richard Sherman Interesting. could replace him on Undisputed. According to the New York Post, Richard Sherman and Skip met up at just a little a little corner shack, the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. Mm. They met up on Wednesday to discuss the idea of working together. Don't you think that's kind of funny that that's, you know, you choose to, like, chat in a really public setting like that? It is. Be seen? Let's hear, let's get a little taste of Richard Sherman. Here, he's on, here he is on first take just a couple of years ago. Well, it, it would be a little different than the good old days. You know, there's two people that aren't here from the Legion of Boom, but, um, you know, it's always in the cards. I spend my entire offseason in Seattle. That's where I live. That's where my family is. So it's never out of the cards. You know, obviously... Pete and I have had conversations throughout the offseason. It just, everything needs to shake out right. They're still figuring things out. I'm still figuring things out, but it's definitely not out of the cards. You know, it's there's no bad blood there between them and I, and it's a cool yeah. opportunity. He'd go to Seattle, but would he be good on first take? 
I don't know. Uh, you tell me, Judah. You want to hear more of Richard Sherman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not totally sold. You sound so definitive about so, that. Well, Richard's got a podcast, and sometimes he brings on his old Seahawk running mates. I love that. Yeah. But I don't know if I love him in the, you know, the the format of these debate shows because I don't love mm-hmm. these debate shows in general. Right. That being said, if he has a J.J. Reddick type of effect, because I like what J.J. brings to the table, keeps everybody yeah. on their toes, keeps him honest, and the dude played the game at a high level. If Sherm can do that, then I think it's good for the overall state of that medium. But I just don't trust Skip, man. You've worked with the guys, yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and Skip, yeah. I guess, has the final say on everything oh, internally yeah. with the show. He tweeted back on July 5th, mm. the show will be back on air with new episodes starting on August 28th. So they've got something in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skip Bayless is 71. This is it for him. So this, he's 71? He's 71. Oh, he, wow. He's in good shape. He's had some work done. He's he's in he's 71 <laughs> years old. Slide that this in there. This feels like <laughs> this is his last marriage, so to speak. <laughs> You and I were talking about this today, Anna. We were, oh, we, were. we were having lunch, yeah. and one of these debate shows was on the TV in the room we were in. Mm-hmm. And it was on more or less as background noise. Yeah. And I looked up, and I saw it, and I said out loud, this stuff makes me nauseous. It's just noise. And you made an interesting comment, because linear television, where, which ESPN is living on now, is, is phasing out. Yeah. Okay. Five years from now, it'll it'll be a primarily a streaming product. Maybe everything on ESPN streaming. Right. Okay. Will the investment in streaming force these kinds of shows to be better than they are now? Absolutely. They have to be because when people buy, um, you know, ESPN as part of a cable package or part of like a satellite package, like we all did once in the day. It just came with the package, and so you'd have it on. You'd see it on in restaurants and bars and everywhere. Um, and like you said, it's kind of background noise. But I think when people are faced with the option of having to select it to watch it, I think the programmers, the networks you know, that create the content, they have to up their game. They have to. They can't just have fallback shows anymore. They have to have the best quality content that they can put out there. Now, you know, for a show like Undisputed, would it be Richard Sherman? Would it be LeVar Ball? Would it be Ocho Cinco? Those no. are all the people that have been discussed no. as Bayless' like counterparts. Better. Yeah. You know, do you take the Stanford graduate, you know, who can yeah. who can talk and argue and, and you hope and, and, you, and to Judah's point, I think you hope he's J.J. Reddick, right? You hope he brings kind of that, hey, I've played the game. Mm-hmm. Like that. there's that great exchange that Sherman had with Skip Bayless where, you know, Sherman said, hey, I'm one of the best 22. I'm an all-pro. And he said, Skip, you're not the best 22 of anything. And that was good TV. Mm-hmm. But I think I think you're right in that, like, two years from now, three years from now, when everything's streaming, there's an there's a advancement that happened, and there is an elevation of the product that happened when Pat McAfee comes over and starts doing the kind of show he's doing. Yes. It's a smarter show. Yes. It's a better show. It's a smarter show. It's not just, hey, you guys get in the room and argue about a topic like, you know, who's going to challenge the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference? That was actually the topic on today's show. <laughs> and I w- looked at it and went, that is such a stupid thing. Like, who cares? It's just a manufactured debate. 
So I kind of think that Skip's age, 71, and the fact that ESPN, we all know it in two, three years, is going to be a direct-to-consumer streaming product means that this is kind of the last hurrah of this format as we see it. I'm kind of hoping that. Number three story in your mind. Well, well, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if this elevates the conversation, but it interested me. Um, Former NFL quarterback Philip Rivers and his wife Tiffany announced they're expecting their 10th child. 10th. 10th. That is 10 children that have biologically come out of this one woman named Tiffany. Uh, They have seven girls and two boys ranging in age from four to 21, and they will welcome another baby boy in the fall. Wow. He says, we're all fired up. Everyone was pulling for a boy. Even our girls wanted a boy. You seen their family photo? Yes. How do they get everyone to smile and not blink at the same time? How many times they had to take that photo? Yeah. I thought about that, too. By the way, they've had a baby about every two years. (laughs) This one is the longest gap. Did you say that? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. This is the longest gap. Yeah. So um, good for him. Why are people fired up about this? Because people are mad. I saw a whole bunch of people on social media going, "Who? nobody needs to have 10 children. Nobody. Like, why are we trying to tell Philip Rivers how many kids they should have? I don't know. Some people get upset, right? Because they say it's irresponsible. But he's Philip Rivers. Can he afford to have nine or 10 kids? End of discussion. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's, I, I, the, que- the conversation I want to have is with his wife, who's like, she's just spitting out kids, you know, like a Pez dispenser. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, that's the conversation. Well, you know, the Moldens who have... What's more impressive? What do they have, eight? Yeah. They have eight. Yeah. Alex Molden says, once you get past three, it's all the same. Yeah. I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> I'd like to talk to Mrs. Molden about that. <laughs> see, see what she has to say. About that conversation. But what's more impressive? Okay. Having nine children. Having, there, having nine children. Or <laughs> just or throwing right for 63,000 yards in the NFL. No, 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 no. The nine children. That's a, yeah. that's a lifelong commitment. Better, more impressive career. It's going to be 10. Philip Rivers, 63,000 yards. Or Tiffany Rivers, 10 human beings she created. <laughs> she made 10 people. Philip Rivers completed some passes. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's the miracle of, like, what did you do? Like, pregnant women, pregnant women, I have so much respect for you. You are on the, the Mount Rushmore of my view, view of the world because you made a person. I haven't made a person. You know? Like, you actually made a person. Yeah, I contributed, right. but I didn't make the person. The hard part comes after the, the person is made. Though. I don't know about that, man. Uh, it's all that parenting stuff. That... Tiffany Rivers should be in the NFL Hall of Fame. <laughs> she could do. Think she could get to eleven? Uh, if she can get to eleven, they've got an offense. Yeah. Is but, it eleven? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Close. Moving on. The number four story, as you see it. Well, let's combine a couple more stories about uh, quarterbacks. Uh, Tom, <laughs> I don't even want to say it because we talked about LeBron earlier. Tom Brady. And then, so then we have to follow that with a Tom Brady story, I guess. Uh, I guess, well, we talked about the Richard Sherman podcast. Right. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. said on that podcast he thinks the Buccaneers might have reached out to Brady to talk about a possible return. Bring him back. What? 
Why he not? says he's sure that we are reaching out to him still, trying to see if he'll come back to the team. Hey, it could happen. Anything's possible. Did you see the uh, photo of Kim Kardashian and Tom Brady on the 4th of July? No. Are they hanging out? A lot of people gossiping about it. There was uh, They were at one of those uh, all-white parties. Oh, yeah. And Kim was seen uh-huh. next to Tom. Yeah. And people made a whole bunch of uh, <laughs> conflicting reports, whether okay. they had interacted, whether or not they... Could they be dating? Were they flirty? Uh-huh. This happened in the Hamptons at that oh. at that big fancy party on the 4th of July. Yeah. So uh, that's mm. going on. But that's not what you're talking about. Brady potentially coming back? I don't know. At this point, might as well. You know? <laughs> it, 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 you know, we all, we all watch boxers do this. And there's no boxer out there that has ever retired, and then they go away, and we're just happy, and they keep their faculties... They don't get, like, you know, cauliflower ear. They remember where they parked the car. Like, we don't get that experience with boxers. It always ends the same way. Even Manny Pacquiao, it ends the same way. At Tom Brady, I just have this feeling that he's out for now, mm. but at some point he's going to be stumbling around the field again. Well, or he'll become a Kardashian. I don't know. Which is more dangerous? Oh, we, so yeah. this is kind of 4B Okay, now. 4B. That was 4, and this is 4B. Um, a lot of people talking about the Netflix series Quarterback. Okay. It highlights Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and everyone's favorite, Marcus, Marcus Mariota. Yeah. During the 2022 season, it became the number one show on Netflix on Friday. That was just three days after its premiere. We love our quarterbacks, don't we? Yeah, I, I think it's it's just such an interesting position. It it blends sports. The quarterback's the highest paid player. It's um it's just an evolution and Netflix is smart to get in on this. Netflix is doing it better than anybody else. But I just saw the promo for it and Kirk Cousins is literally going, My ribs, I can't even raise my hands over my head. And I was like, I wanna watch this. Mm-hmm. So I'm in. If you can turn quarterbacks into normal protagonists in a story um i think it's going to be a hell of a documentary or it probably is so uh i'm into it and i want to see what marcus Mariota looks like behind the scenes let's let's check it out but patrick mahomes kirk cousins i'm in give me more of this judah have you seen any of it will you watch it you know i haven't had netflix in a while but i'm getting it back just to watch this i think it's mm. a fascinating you know, behind the scenes, I, the behind the scenes stuff like this, the access, yeah. that's what it's access. all about for me. So I'm in. And, and Netflix is doing this better than anybody. Let's just let's just say it. You know, you think I'm going to say what the thing out loud. Right. <laughs> Netflix is doing this better. Mm. They're doing it better than Amazon. They're doing it better than Apple right now. Netflix is doing this kind of thing better. And and uh, I think for that reason, you know, I'm going to watch it. Eight parts. People are saying it should have had tighter focus. You know, I think I think the public's going to eat it up. Eight parts. Number five. Go ahead. Uh, okay, this is the last one. Lionel Messi. Yeah. He's about to make his debut for Inter Miami on mm-hmm. July 21st in Fort Lauderdale. But in the meantime, he's just like us. Oh. He's shopping at a public supermarket in Florida. And for the most part, people left him alone. Like, he did have security with him, and there were people that, you know, tried to take selfies with him. 
So he was kind to them and let them do that. But uh, I think it's fascinating that he's just out filling up his shopping cart. And uh, guess what he had in there? He had some Lucky Charms. Don't tell the kids that. Love that. One of the world's premier soccer players. Yeah, Yeah, parents everywhere are going to hate that one. Uh, He had Lucky Charms. He had, uh, looks like he had some... Some milk in there. Like a lot of cereal. A lot of cereal. Lot, like there's Fruit Loops. This guy likes cereal. And uh, he's got some soy milk, it looks like. This is what you do when you shop publicly yeah. and pictures are taken of you. Well, here's the, here's the thing. I mean, uh, he's got some little little bites, like little Debbie kind of things. Hundreds of millions of dollars he's going to make. Yeah. He's going to dominate MLS, okay? And he is uh, he can go shopping with nobody bugging him. This is why he came to Florida and came to America. Because you know what? As big as he is, as big a star he is, Patrick Mahomes is in that same store. He gets mobbed. Mm -hmm. Okay? Tom Brady's in that store. He gets mobbed. This is... Lionel Messi has found the country he can go to, still be himself, make the money, and live fairly normal. Oh, just give them time. I disagree. I think I think it's going to take a matter of weeks before people go crazy and storm him in a in a public. Well, like somebody tweeted, is he going to be at Walmart tonight? <laughs> Probably. Good for him. That, oh no, it's yeah. not soy milk. The soy milk was just an add on the cart. As I'm, I'm examining the photo now, it's just yeah. a lot of cereal in his cart. All right, but if I'm lucky, Guy charms. Eats a lot of cereal. If I'm lucky, charms. Shredded wheat in there too. If I'm shredded wheat. Yeah. If I'm lucky, charms. Yeah jumping on that your instagram and your twitter right now need to be all about you know look what he's eating because if it were wheaties you know damn well they would have had like oh look at he's he's not he's not on the box he's just eating what's in the box it's got to be for his kids i don't know anna it's i think he's got a gaggle of kids i'll tell you i got a lot of respect for him he's shopping (laughs) he doesn't have 10 kids he's shopping he's not having someone do the shopping for him right he's he's walking the walk Good for him. And I don't think he could do this in Europe. All right. That's the five at five. Five biggest stories is Anna sees them. Those are really good stories. Are Anna. they, though? They were. My, my, I think, let me unpack it a little bit. You went, you started with Sabrina Ionescu. It's a huge story. It's a big story. There was a lot of people saying she didn't deserve to be an all-star. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's, she's not a wildly popular player outside of the state of Oregon and out of the uh, New York Liberty fans this is good for her to show everybody how good she how talented she's gifted yeah she's a gifted player we saw it we got to watch it up close where i think it was a blessing that she was here in the state of oregon where we all got to see her play um what she could have made in the nil era would have blown minds mm-hmm. i think she could have been bigger than caitlin clark bigger than angel reese in the nil space she would have you know it would have been remarkable to see what she could have earned. Uh, n- needless to say, the, the national championship they should have won in right. the year that it got canceled, the yeah. tournament got canceled. Big story, great story there. Um, you uh, you talked about the Tom Brady return and the quarterbacks. Could Tom Brady play? Is he as could Judah, just from a football standpoint, is Brady better than five eight starters, ten starters in the NFL, at, even at his age? Um, I think his arm talent's there because he just stays in such good shape and he's as smart as anyone. But the fact that he doesn't want to get hit 
it's not that he would hold up to hits. It's the fact that he doesn't want to get hit forces him into a, so many more incompletions now and quick throws and throwaways that it really puts a cap on how dynamic the offense can be even to two years ago. But the real question is, is he better than Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask is yeah. who their other quarterbacks are on the roster? Um, I'm going to say over the course of a season, he is. Yeah. On a given Sunday, maybe not. You know, but oh, you give me a season with him, I think I have a better season with him at the controls for the reasons you pointed out. Is like, he a just, better quarterback right now or a better broadcaster? You haven't even seen him broadcast. Uh, I quarterback. Got, I got to say quarterback. <laughs> I think the fact that he's a he hasn't shown up anywhere talking tells us that I don't think he's I don't think he's really into it. I see no evidence of him yet as a broadcaster. I could be surprised, but like broadcasting wise, I've got my money on Richard Sherman. I you actually know? have done more quarterbacking than Brady has done broadcasting. <laughs> That's how little broadcasting he has done. Um, but I think it was a, that was a really solid five at five. Well, I like to think of it as a meal. You got your meat and potatoes, a little bit of dessert, you know? I have a, full, I have a question. Why is the WNBA three-point contest at 2 o'clock Pacific time on a Friday? Yeah, they're burying it. Mm. They didn't think there was any interest in it, maybe. They, they certainly didn't expect her to hit 37 points and break a record. And it was Steph Curry's record, I believe, yeah. that she broke. Yeah, come on. Yeah, he's paying tribute to her. But too. good for her. Get the word out. Tell a friend. All right, leave it here. Coming up, we have so much more to talk about. Anna, thank you. Yeah. You're leaving now. All right, you got the bald-faced truth statewide. It's been a good show. It's sailing along. Good energy on this Friday. I appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of your day. I like to think uh, that it is a different sports radio show. I try not to listen to other shows. So how would I really know? Well, I know that I don't follow the formula that other shows follow. I know that I, I don't bring on the same guests that other shows bring on. I know that um, I know that uh, I don't go around, you know, giving my opinions on what I'm going to talk about on the show because sometimes, the, as it did in that last segment with Anna, I didn't know what her five at five was going to be. You know, literally right before the segment, she says, "I have six things for the five at five. and I said, "Well, what are you going to drop?" And she says, well, I have this thing about the quarterback show on Netflix. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm glad you're going to talk about that. I have, something, I have something to say about that. And then she says, and, I, and Tom Brady potentially coming back. And which one of those should I drop? And I said, those are both quarterback things. Do them as one thing. And then the music played. And we were back on air. And it's true. Like, I just think sometimes the free-flowing format of the show, it, it works. It works for me. I hope it works for you. It's very different. I love the guest we had on today. Dave Bartu was great um, talking about the impact or the effect that great coaches can have as it pertains to um, college football. Got a couple of great coaches in, uh, in the championship game of the Pac-12 last season with Lincoln Riley and, and Kyle Whittingham. Probably not surprising that those teams got there when you look at sort of, hey, here's how the coaches grade out. Um, and... Interesting to talk with Adam Rittenberg about a variety of things in college football, including the mess at Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald. Definitely headed to litigation. 100% headed to litigation. And can we just stop for a second on that Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern story and give a nod to the student journalists who broke the story 
of the hazing that was going on at Northwestern. It was um, the student newspaper that broke the story, and people keep saying, oh, it's a bunch of 17-year-old uh, kids in the student newspaper that did it. Nah, I don't know if it's quite 17-year-olds, but the North Daily Northwestern student paper, you know, broke this story. And good on them, because what you do have is, you know, at Northwestern, is you've got some, a really good journalism department and good journalists who are working on this story. But you also have, if, we're gonna, if we can be real for a second, an emerging problem in sports, and in particular college sports, as it pertains to coverage of teams. Now, this is near and dear to me, of course, because I am a journalist, I am a writer, I cover teams, I cover conferences, I write stories about people. My Saturday mailbag will come out tomorrow at johnconzano.com. If you have a question for me, you can fire it to me on Facebook, you can fire it to me on Twitter. Uh, I tweeted this morning, best questions get published. It's a very fair system. You ask a good question, I'll publish it, I'll answer it. Um, I am a journalist. And so uh, what I have watched over the years, in the last 20 years in particular, is I have watched programs like Northwestern get covered less and less and less and less. Now, you have a paper in Chicago that covers Northwestern a little bit. and You got some Big Ten journalists that cover Northwestern a little bit. But Northwestern only gets covered a little bit because Northwestern isn't a power in the Big Ten. And in Chicago, you've got bigger stories, bigger programs. And while a lot of newspapers may have had a beat reporter that covered Northwestern, you know, regularly once upon a time, what has happened with shrinking staff sizes at newspapers across the country is people have stopped covering programs. For example, in the state of Oregon. You've got Oregon, Oregon State, University of Portland, Portland State. You've got uh, some other small colleges. You've got the Blazers, the Timbers, the Thorns. You have um, the Major League Baseball story. You've got the Winterhawks. And believe me, I was part of a newspaper staff where suddenly I looked around and I said, we don't have anybody covering these things anymore. And certainly not covering them the way that we used to. It was a simple staffing problem. So... It was great to me to see a student newspaper at Northwestern break a story that was an important story, cover it right. It was a story that would not have been told otherwise. Those are the good stories, okay? The ones that would never have been told otherwise, that's real work. And the, North, the journalists at Northwestern, the kids at Northwestern deserve some credit for staying after that story. And frankly, that's not a happy story to write. It's not an easy story to write, and they did a good job on it. Now, it's messy over there now because the national writers have now descended upon what the student journalists uncovered. And you now have the president at Northwestern, Michael Schill, the former Oregon president, who has reversed course. He originally suspended Pat Fitzgerald for two weeks. You know, there was some hazing going on. There were some things that uh, were inappropriate happening, and... You know, the investigation at Northwestern showed that Pat Fitzgerald did not have knowledge of these things. So given that he did not have knowledge, Michael Schill, the president at Northwestern, said, you know, we're going to suspend him two weeks. Then Schill met with the parents 
and a player who was hazed and talked to some other people and came out and said, you know, it was a misstep to suspend him for only two weeks. It should be the job of a football coach to know what's going on within the program. And he then subsequently got uh, his board to approve it, and he fired and dismissed Pat Fitzgerald for cause. There's a lawsuit that is going to happen here. Obviously, there will be litigation. I believe Michael Schill has not spoken to this point because he knows there will be litigation, and it's not in his best interest to come out and talk. But this, as Adam Rittenberg said earlier, may be the most important thing and story that uh, you know Michael Schill is part of at Northwestern. And Michael Schill's background is in law. And I'll never forget, I was covering an Oregon football game on the road. It's in a stadium. I can't even remember where I was, Colorado or Arizona State or somewhere. And I was in the press box setting up before the game. And I look over and I see uh, Michael Schill, the Oregon president. He's sitting in my seat. He's waiting for me. Introduces himself. We talk for a while. He asked me where I went to college. I asked him where he went to college. We start talking about his background. He confesses to me, you know, I'm not really a sports person. I don't know much about sports. I think it's interesting that Michael Schill now finds himself at the center of one of the biggest stories this week that has to do with sports. And a guy with a law background treading very carefully in what will be ultimately a legal matter. Uh, Keep an eye on that. It is a big story. I think the journalists at Northwestern uh, did a real service to their campus and – It makes me kind of sad because I look around and I go, how many of those stories are being missed nationally? Because newspapers are constricting in size. The Eugene Register Guard has become an embarrassment. I don't know what paper you get at home. Look around. It's it's bare bones. It's part of what inspired me to go out on my own, start my own thing, and uh, just try to tell the good stories. I was being pulled in so many directions, uh, having to pick up slack that was just left behind by – the lack of staffing and poor management, and ultimately it was you know just a decision for my own sanity in the end. Like I want to go tell good stories. I want to do the stuff that that you know I got in this business to do. And not only at JohnConzano.com am I doing that, but on this show I'm doing it. And you know, and I started this segment talking about how free flowing it is. The fact that I can spend some time talking with you guys about how important it is that student journalists are doing great work um, is, I think it's a, it's a real service. It's an honor for me to be able to do that. And I'm grateful for the uh, station that you're listening to giving me that platform because there's great journalists at the university of Oregon that are doing great work and Oregon state that are doing great work and Portland state that are doing great work and the university of Portland that are doing great work, but they shouldn't be the only ones covering the programs at their respective schools. So I'll continue to do it at johnconzano.com. And I appreciate everybody who reads me there. All right, coming up, some parting thoughts on this great Friday. Like, everybody said, oh, it's a really slow news week. It feels to me like it's been a little bit busy. How about the news out of Tennessee with the NCAA coming in and slapping Tennessee with a with a massive fine? No bowl ban. Uh, they were happy about that at Tennessee. Oh, we get to go to a bowl game. Never mind, you know, $800 million. We get to go to a bowl game. And giving a show-cause penalty to the uh, – to the football coach who was supposed to be in charge of the program at Tennessee. Basically, um, Arizona State fans rubbernecking on that have to feel okay at least about what they might see when the NCAA releases the findings on the Herm Edwards mess. But uh, it still turned out to be a week that had some news to it. 
I'll talk about the week that was coming up. I'll give you my thoughts on next week. We got a Pac-12 Media Day in Vegas on Friday, and what I'm looking forward to over the weekend. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Really good show today. Get a podcast wherever you get a podcast. I said it yesterday. You know where to find a podcast. I don't have to tell you. You know where to find it. My parents know where to find the podcast. Everybody knows where to find the podcast. Um, Judah, what are you doing this weekend? You got any big plans for the weekend? Oh, man. Well, uh, you know, getting some things done around the house for sure because time's ticking down to college football season. So, uh, you know, you litter the families out there. It's time to get those to-do lists done so that they don't hang over your head come September. That's uh, that's my big thing right now. Yeah. Um, we uh, This weather is phenomenal. People are complaining about being too hot. I'm not doing that here in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Um, I was in New York last week. It was hot and muggy, and uh, it was uh, – this is way better. I'd rather have this weather. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what I see coming up this next week. Pac-12 Media Day obviously is Friday. That's going to be big. I don't think we're going to get news on the Damian Lillard front. I've seen a variety of stories from people who have said the Blazers and the Heat are getting close. This is They're closing in. New York Post had it. They're getting pretty close. Um, I don't think the Blazers are motivated right now. And I don't think the Blazers are motivated to get anything done. I don't think the Blazers are motivated to look bad. I think the Blazers are, their position is going to be bring us a no-brainer deal or we'll go to training camp with Damian Lillard as part of the team. The question then becomes, will Damian Lillard at some point say, I'm not going to show up? And I've kind of paid attention to what is being said, but we all know that we're reading, like having to read Damian Lillard's mind and we're having to figure out you know, where his camp's head is, what is Aaron Goodwin, his agent, thinking, what is Joe Cronin thinking. We're all playing a game where we're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to flinch first. I just think the Blazers are probably going to do, like, you know, what what is it we always say about players? We always say the, that the best predictor of performance is past performance. Um, I think part of the Blazers' M.O. in doing anything they're a little bit paralyzed, right? They, you know, have they developed the Rose Quarter? Even after saying for decades they were going to develop the Rose Quarter, no. Have they uh, made a uh, game shifting, a shape shifting trade? No. Have they uh, gone out in free agency and made a landmark deal in free agency? No. Have they become a taxpayer, gone above and beyond uh, beyond the uh, salary cap threshold to be a taxpayer and make a splashy move? No. Have they um, have they uh, gone and put the franchise for sale, even though they're no like Paul Allen died, Paul Allen died, okay? He said this team is supposed to be sold, and the uh, the the uh, assets that uh, are derived from the sale should be used to fuel my passion projects, and uh, of course we all know they should be sold. Have they been sold? No. So. I think what you're going to see is the Blazers, of course, are going to take the phone calls. Bob Witsit, former GM of the Blazers, told me, I said, what do you think Joe Cronin's role is going to be? Uh, you know, Is he going to be making this deal? He believes that Cronin's probably just there to answer the phone and relay the trade messages upstairs to Bert and Jody. He believes that 
you know, Cronin probably doesn't have the autonomy this early in his career, operating under the guidance of, you know, two people who really don't know how to run a franchise, does not have the authority to make this deal on his own. He knows more than Bert and Jody, but Cronin's not going to be given the autonomy. So Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald reported that the Blazers have been, quote-unquote, unmotivated to engage with the Miami Heat. So let's unpack that. Miami Herald journalist reporting that the Blazers have been unmotivated to engage. Now, I'm going to be willing to bet, gun to my head, that that tidbit of information is not coming from Aaron Goodwin, the Blazers, uh, the agent that handles Damian Lillard. It's not going to be coming from the Blazers. Barry Jackson's not sourced with the Blazers. It just makes sense to me that the source of that Miami Herald story is somebody with the Miami Heat who's saying, hey, Blazers are just not motivated to engage. That makes sense to me. Meanwhile, you've got, you know, the Chris Haynes and Shams and Wojnarowski reports saying that, you know, Miami's the only team that Dame would would accept a trade to. And as we unpack that one, you better believe that's not coming from the Blazers. They don't want that out there. It doesn't, doesn't serve the Blazers to have the rest of the market know that Damian Lillard's only destination, his preferred destination, is Miami. Here's my list of all the teams I'd go to, the Miami Heat. That's it. That's the list. That's not even a list. That's, you know, here's the team I would go to. And you better believe that that's coming from Camp Lillard. If it's not Damian Lillard himself, it's Aaron Goodwin, his agent, who is whispering that into the ears of national media members that are handpicked because they'll play the game, okay? They will play the game. I had this conversation today with somebody who said, you know, why aren't you more engaged with, and they gave me the entity, and I said, because I'm not willing to play their game. The game is you report what they want you to report or they do, they stop giving you information. And I, I don't. I don't operate like that. You know that. It's probably part of why you listen to the show. But anyway, the I digress. The The message that Lillard only wants to go to Miami is coming from Aaron Goodwin, his agent, Damian Lillard's agent. Okay, Camp Lillard says, we just want to go to Miami. Now, why are they doing that? Because it's not making it easier to get Damian Lillard out of Portland. It is really limiting what the Blazers can do. And the MO of the Blazers is 100% to be petty, and to be a little bit vindictive, and to be a little bit small-minded, and to be mostly inactive when it comes to doing big things. This is not a franchise whose DNA includes make no small plans as a mantra. They make small plans all the time. That's what the Blazers do. And so as you unpack the media reports, you've got you know, the Camp Lillard report, you got the Miami Heat report through Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald. And then you have a third report, mostly coming from Adrian Wojnarowski, that basically says the Blazers are going to do business with everybody. Now, I can tell you who's pitching that message. That's Joe Cronin, Blazers GM. And he's pretty much said that. Like, you know, we're not going to make a bad deal, more or less. This could take months. But the messaging is pretty easy to figure out. If you're reading this and watching this spat play out, because it is that. It's a standoff right now. You have the Miami Heat going, the Blazers don't want to make a bad deal. 
What's wrong with them in telling their reporters that? You have Camp Lillard going, the only place we'll go is Miami. We won't report anywhere else, which is a tired phrase that uh, NBA players use until they realize that they don't have the leverage. And Damian Lillard doesn't have the leverage right now. Let's say that up front. He's under contract through 26-27. He'll be paid $216 million in guaranteed money if he stays through that. He has two options. He can go to trading camp if the Blazers don't trade him, and he can suit up and wear a Trailblazers uniform, or he can retire. He can sit out, not get paid, and the Blazers don't have to pay him a dime. I can guarantee you, if we've watched Damian Lillard over the years, that the only thing that Damian Lillard likes more than being a star in Portland and playing basketball is maybe getting the biggest paycheck that Damian Lillard could possibly get. He has checked every box to get every possible dollar. He is not going to sit out if it comes to that at the beginning of the season. He may not be happy, but he's not going to sit out. But I'd like to see how this standoff plays out. So what I'm telling you is, you know, I started this show by saying, you know, we're all waiting. It's that, you know, make them laugh, make them cry, but most of all, make them wait. We're watching this play out. There is a waiting game playing out with the Pac-12 Conference. There is a waiting game playing out with Damian Lillard. There is a waiting game playing out with the sale of the Blazers. This is all about waiting. Major League Baseball to Portland, it's all about waiting. It's about seeing who can be patient, who can find leverage. And I think what's going to happen with Lillard is I think this is going to be a story throughout this summer. I think we will be sitting here in August still talking about whether or not Damian Lillard is going to start opening day in a Blazers uniform. And I've watched the odds on that go from 7-1 to one down to 4-1 to one yesterday. I saw that blind move, and I went, you know what? The market is starting to figure out that the Blazers are not interested in making a bad deal. And I wouldn't do it if I were them. Like, look, I'll be the first to sit here and say, Burt Cold and Jody Allen barely know what they're doing. Barely know what they're doing with a basketball team. But I'm also going to tell you, I don't blame them for wanting to get full value for Damian Lillard. They've got one opportunity to turn a star player into their future. Now, Scoot Henderson looks promising. Shaden Sharp looks promising. They you know, signed a player in the offseason. doesn't really make sense for whatever else they're, they're doing. But I'm looking at Lillard and going, there's no way they're going to take Tyler Hero in two draft picks or three bad draft picks in exchange for you know uh, the player that might be regarded as the greatest player in franchise history. It's uh, it's uh, ultimately a, um, a, uh, an equation that I think has a very simple result. Lillard either starts this season in a Blazers uniform or the Miami Heat or somebody else comes up with an offer that Joe Cronin, Jody Allen, and Burt Cold cannot refuse. And so far, I don't think they're anywhere near that point, and I think the Blazers are content to go into this summer and go into the deep summer and, and maybe even the start of the season, like going, hey, we don't have to do this. We don't have to mortgage our future. He's under contract through 2026, 2027. What's he going to do, retire? He's not. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. I think the Lillard, Lillard thing will get some more legs in this next week or so. Interested to see if he comes out and does any talking. And, of course, next Friday, Pac-12 Media Day, live. This show will be live on Friday from Las Vegas, a week from today. So we're taking the show on the road as we always do. We'll go where the story is. 
I appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of their day. Judah Newby, I want you to have a great weekend. Get that stuff done that you need to get done. And uh, we'll pick it back up on Monday with more great shows. Tomorrow, read me at johnconzano.com where you can get my Saturday mailbag. Make sure that uh, you're tuned into that. It's always a fun read in the morning. We try to have some fun with it. And if you have a question, you can tweet it at me, at BFT. The bald-faced truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.